Okay, we have all of our outline for this episode. We just need a comedic opening bit that we normally do. Well, I guess we could riff on, um, trying to think about what's riffable about samurai. Uh, bad heterosexuality? I mean, yeah, but can we write a whole bit that, about it that'll hook the listeners in? Jaden's wooden acting? Meh, it's not really snappy to do a whole bit droning on like Jaden. Uh, fuck your Honda Civic, I've got a horse outside. <sighs> I give up, let's start the show. Hi, I'm Mia's burnt chicken, Sid. And I'm a reused bridal plotline from Wild Force, Ashley. And this is Ranger's Plane, where Sid, enthusiastic lifelong Power Rangers fan, takes Ashley, reluctant new fan, through the world of Power Rangers and Power Rangers accessories. This month we're kicking off the Neo Saban era with going into Power Rangers Samurai. Um, so what is Power Rangers Samurai all about? In Panorama City, five young adults descended from ancient samurai are brought together to protect the world from the rising Sansu River and the evil Nylock army led by Master Xandrid. Led by a white boy named Jaden. The team deals with things like the weight of family pressure to save the world, sacrificing yourself for the greater good, and just truly awful cooking. So, yeah, um, <laughs> where to start on this one? <laughs> where, where to start? Um, I think I'll start on how this, just because of the nature of how this all happened, which was, I think this was like a year or so after RPM finished. It's over. We're not expecting Power Rangers back. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like Power Rangers got back up and we needed to throw a season out there right the heck now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it is very rushed and it's it just shows so much. It's like, yeah, like, because when you pointed that out, I was like, no, that absolutely tracks, because, like, I, I, I had to wonder if that affected some of the acting in the series, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. And, like, obviously, like, they kind of just adapted a whole cloth from Shinkanger, like you pointed out, to the yeah, point that, it, like, the dynamics weren't really changed that much. Yeah, that's, a, I tried not to want to talk about Sentai versus power rangers because it's it's one of those things it's like it's interesting to know what might flavor something in power rangers but they are very separate it's really hard to do that with samurai and shinkanger because it's just shinkanger it's just kind of watered down a lot and like try and they tried to package it for american audiences huh. it's like almost beat for beat a lot of the story points are just shinkanger mm-hmm. and i'm like and it's one of those things, like, I'm watching Samurai, and I'm like, wow, I could be watching Shinkanger. <laughs> it's like, and I think that hindered it so much. What I like about Power Rangers, oftentimes, it's, it is different from the Sentai. And at this time, it's just like, ah, uh, no. Especially when you're going with something that is, was 
very much a love letter to Japanese samurai, like, folklore and film. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to adapt it over here, where, like, the most somebody has seen is probably a Kurosawa film. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's just, there is kind of a weird disconnect um, between kind of, like, the samurai culture as it's being presented on, you know, on Japanese television and here. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't help that, like, I feel like it kind of came in more during the, like... I would I would say kind of later on is that they're trying to appeal to children in the 2011s, but like you're also dealing with the fact that Saban doesn't really know how to like do a modern children's television show. <laughs> yeah, it's they got a lot of uh like I think Jonathan Tycar came back as executive producer mm-hmm. and it's like it's it very much felt like a bunch of people who were in charge, not only like Nickelodeon trying to push their own thing because Nickelodeon is I, I think has been a pressure on that show on the show, uh-huh. but it's also it's like you're dealing with a lot of people who have been out of children's media for almost a decade, and it's like a lot of things have changed. Yeah, like I think specifically, like I think Saban legally could not do anything in children's television for like several years due to the contract negotiations with disney which i'm sure he was fine with. oh yeah go cry into your billion dollar pile of money <laughs> yeah that you got from michael eisner right <laughs> uh but yeah it's like you can you can obviously tell like i if there's one thing i can i can say about saban he is very savvy about business Uh and i definitely think he realized especially since we know next next uh series recovers the 20th anniversary Uh he was like oh my god now 90s nostalgia is going to be a thing because you know he lived through viewing 80s nostalgia basically while he was doing you know nothing but sitting on his pile of money he swindled from michael eisner right I will I will greatly respect that man for like pulling a fast one on Michael Eisner, okay? Yeah, like I feel like if there is a thing to respect about Heim Saban, that's definitely one of the things. It's just like good for you. <laughs> um, you know, it is uh you know, he's like, Oh, he he probably was thinking that. Like, I can get Power Rangers back, I can definitely tap into nostalgia, but the bad thing is like children's shows had changed so much. Mm-hmm. Just just due to how you know, t- television change. It's like we're we're no longer doing a lot of syndicated program. We're doing more serialized program, right? And so you know, you're having kind of the stuff from the '90s that would feel not off, say, an MMPR, like having very flat characters that are very one note. Mm-hmm. But it when you're trying to have a, a through line story, it's like oh, this is not great. Yeah, like. I feel like there that was definitely a conflict about like there I think there were attempts throughout the series to do a through line story but like it felt like no we got to make it more like the 90s and be fun came through. Yeah. There's there's definitely like I think that was you know you're having from what I understand it's like what was going on during that time period it's like you have Saban's vision, you had whoever the showrunner is. At this point, it was Jonathan Tykar. And I think you had Nickelodeon. Like, mm-hmm. everyone was kind of weighing down with what they wanted. And uh, we'll probably get into that more as we continue about kind of the too many cooks situation. Right. But th- this one is just like, I think it, like, they, 
they were already reaching out for a bunch of people, I think, um, uh, to, to do kind of, and we'll touch into this later, uh, a bunch of people to kind of, what can we do with this, with footage? And I guess they just felt it was the best to just take Shin Kanger and change a lot of the name, like change the names, you know, copy your homework, but don't make it obvious. You know? Right. Uh, this was also like really apparent on the airing order versus the actual order of how the show was supposed to come out. <laughs> oh yeah, like you explained that to me when we did the watch because we decided to like put the quote quote last two episodes first. Yeah, the first season uh-huh. because it's like I asked Ashley, like, do you want to watch this in airing order or do you want to watch it in the actual order? And she's like, don't torture me like that. <laughs> <laughs> We're watching the actual order it's supposed to be <laughs> right. So, and it's so funny because, like, you'll watch, if you watch it in, in the order it's supposed to be in, they'll have, like, the, the credits that were at the end of the first season of Samurai instead. So you're like, Antonio and Decker are not going to show up, but okay. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, they, they, it was a weird decision. I feel like it was, like, it, I don't know who it was, Nickelodeon's, Saban's, I don't know who it was, but they decided to air the third episode first and i think that was kind of like one of those examples of you can't just treat this like 90s tv anymore yeah because like i remember as a kid like you didn't need much to cue in with power rangers Mm. there was barely a like a through story so you know my first episode was food fight and it's just like oh you know you you kind of get a description at the beginning which samurai does Mm -hmm. and you're, you're thrown into it but because you know it's syndicated and you know you can get real quickly what these characters are about. You know you're 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 fine. It's entertaining. But I, I can't help but I think that like adults were confused by the first episode. I can't imagine a child reaction to it either. Of like, what is going on here? Yeah, because it's like it kind of just jumps right in, and like you don't really know like who these characters are or what their vibe is. Yeah, and it, it's like. The first two episodes that aired again later established at least people's kind of vibes. Like, you know, Jaden's leader. Kevin is, you know, uptight and very, like, organized. Mike is you know, free-spirited and all that other stuff. And it's like, okay, you get that. So when you watch the third episode, you're like, oh, okay. So Mike's whole, like, I do what I want attitude is just clashing with everybody else. Okay. Whereas, like, you jump into this and you're like, why is, who are these people? Why are they having these motivations? Yeah. And and a kid's going to find that even more confusing. Kids are a lot smarter than you would, than people think. Yeah. And, like, not to, not to bring up RPM, but, like, even, like, so, like, when we, you know, when RPM started, you're introduced to, like, the team kind of in res because they, like, most of the team has been Power Rangers for about, like, a year. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and, like, similar happened to Wild Force, where, like, you had kind of these staged-out rangers, but, like, you get to, like, learn who they are over the course of the series instead of just being, like, told, well, here are the Power Rangers, we're not gonna tell you anything about them. It's like, even even MMPR had a establishing episode that aired probably first in most places. (laughs) Like, you've had, like, using establishing episodes since Mm -hmm. MMPR... So even in in your more syndicated era, you you were using that. So it was very weird that you decided to forgo having a, an establishing episode mm-hmm. and air the third episode first, and then air your two establishing episodes 
which obviously were filmed to be the first two episodes right. when you watch them. Uh, especially because it's like, if you were to watch this in the order of Aaron, you'd be like, oh, the acting's ba- back to being bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's very obvious, like, this was supposed to air before everything else. Yeah, like, yeah. This is, and, you know, you're you're dealing with that kind of, the new the new way of television being how it was in this time period, which is, again, you're dealing with a lot more serialized shows. Mm-hmm. And so it's like treating it like it was just purely syndicated. You can put whatever you want on. It was just like, huh, that wasn't a great idea. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think we, we talked a little about this. I don't, I don't know if we want to go for, further into it, but it was it's, it's, it's like a 2010 show and it's trying to be a 2010 show. But it comes off like it's trying to also be something from 20 years prior. Yeah, and like, you know, we already kind of covered that. But yeah, it is just, that is that is definitely like the, one of the core, like, things that was just weird about the series. Because like, I was thinking about that with like the, like the episode with like, and we'll talk about this a little, a little bit later. But like the episode with Mia's brother, like, they're clearly trying to do what, like, similar to what, I mean, both Nickelodeon and Disney were doing this. But like... You know, especially starting on the Disney Channel with around, like, Hannah Montana, is that, like, every one of their shows had to have some sort of, like, musical aspect. Yeah. And so, like, you know, it definitely felt like something that was appealing to the Hannah Montana, like, Camp Rock, high school musical crowd. And I think, I want to say this is around the time Nickelodeon had Big Time Rush. I don't. I don't know. I want to say I was too old to be watching it, but I was clearly fucking watching Camp Rock in college. <laughs> and I tried to tell you all the time about how Lemonade Mouth is an actually good movie. <laughs> I need to go watch that now. It, it's good. I, it has a great soundtrack. And, like, uh, Karen Scott from the 2017 Power Rangers movie is in it. Um, But, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm just... Yeah, I'm just saying in the sense of, like... So, yeah, they're cl- trying to... There's our parts where it's like, okay, we're going to try to appeal to children in the 2011s, like in 2011 when this is airing, but also like, yeah, it's just definitely that sense of like, Haim Saban doesn't know how to do a modern tele- children's television show. Yeah, it definitely, it just definitely came off of like, I'm also trying to tap the 90s and it's like, the night. it's something I said on Twitter because people, people have been, I guess, rightfully calling out like you know of course you like the disney channel whatever when you were younger that's when you were had that media aimed at you yeah and i basically said it's like children's programming has gotten better you you're just not the target audience anymore trust me i I run a power rangers podcast yeah (laughs) and this is kind of like i look at this i'm like wow this feels like several steps back over what else was going on at the time yeah and all i can hear in the back of my head watching this was like um was that episode of the toys that made us uh, about power rangers toys and when they talked to haim and he's like when he he talks about buying power rangers back and he's like i took it back to the 90s i made it fun again it's like oh no no don't do that (laughs) no 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 it's like, don't take it back to the 90s. <laughs> and the 90s is where everyone was one known, and we had kind of more, like, shallow diversity instead of actually, like, you know, in-depth multiculturalism. Right. Which is way better. Yeah. Uh, so, 
uh, I guess we can start talking about we're talking about how one note a lot of these characters are. Let's let I guess we could start talking about that. Yeah, uh, with with Jaden Sheba, who, as we pointed out, was played by a white person. Yeah, that's definitely a problem with the entire Sheba clan, but definitely Jaden. Um, yeah. Yeah, you, you when we were writing stuff down to talk about Jaden, you're like certainly a white boy who is a samurai. Yeah, and like the, his main vibe is that he's the hero and the leader of the team. That's all I can really tell you about Jaden. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's like you know, I feel like they were trying to you know do something here with it like Mm -hmm. his whole character arc is about warming up to other people and having friends now and it like it fell flat even for power rangers yeah like real hard like i feel like connor got more development in dino thunder oh god and really all all what happened to connor is like he just had people who checked him on his assholeness yeah yeah it's just Almost everybody is really lacking in a character department, uh, but it showed most around Jaden because they wanted him to be that lead character. And it's like, you have to have something there to do it. You have to have a story flowing through him. Right. You you know, like a character or something, like an arc for him to kind of stand out. And it's like, "Eh, no, but I guess he learned friendship, question mark. Like, yeah. And like, I, I would argue that like, the friendships, like, learning friendship and opening yourself up, like, showed a little better in Lauren, and we'll get to Lauren. Oh, we'll fucking get to Lauren. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'm just, like, I can't really think of anything about Jaden that just is, like, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, this is sort of, like, we've been, and for the past couple of years, like, we've been dealing with, like, one ranger as, like, the main character, and, like, yeah. they try to do that with Jaden, but unlike, you know, Dylan and RPM, who had the tragic backstory and the mystery that needed to unfold. Or, or Casey? Or Casey, who had to, like, learn this emotional arc to stand on his own and, like, not feel like he had to be the, like, he, that he was still the rookie. Or, like, even going back to, like, Nick in Mystic Force, where, like, this, like, he wasn't, like, the the main character, but, like, the main mystery focused around him and then kind of how his arc played out from that. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, like, I could tell, like, with these past couple of seasons, like, I know I know Dylan wasn't the Red Ranger, but functionally, like, he, he kind of served the purpose that a Red Ranger would in these kind of storylines. Like, you, yeah. you have, like, the Red Ranger or, like, a Focus Ranger that has, like, a full story arc. And like even Mac had a full story arc. Yeah, like yeah, like his him having to learn to be fine with the fact that he was a robot boy, and <laughs> yeah. then becoming a real boy. <laughs> yeah, he became a real boy. Oh, um, instead of keys and friends. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say I did enjoy Samurai more than Operation Overdrive. But oh yeah, it, 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 it's so funny. Like we're so hard on Samurai, but we're like we we'll get to that. But we, we're okay with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it's just more of my own disappointment, I guess. Um. Yeah. And I think that is it. It's like, there was, I think that's what's disappointing. Is like, there's a kernel of a good idea here mm-hmm. of a person that was really just raised on the compound by, you know, his mentor, uh, you know, 
he only had really one friend before that friend moved away. And, you know, he's so, like, closed up and doesn't really want to get to know people, especially since he's, you know, harboring a secret. And he's feeling like, oh, my God, these these people are, uh, you know, getting themselves killed for, you know, someone like me who's not even, you know, head of the Sheba clan. Yeah. yeah. It's like there's a lot to play there. And they, they do try to implant it. And it's just like it just goes. Yeah. And it's just like I don't know if it's just because like the actor didn't have the acting still secured it off or like the writing was bad or the directing was bad. But like so much of it just fell flat. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of those things that's like, I feel like everyone involved kind of made this fall flat. Like, bless Jaden's actor, he tried, but, you know, obviously he wasn't very experienced to draw something out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike, say, uh, Walter Jones or Amy Jo Johnson, when you flash back to MNPR, I think that's why Zach and Kimberly hold such a memory to people, mm-hmm. is because they were seasoned enough to be like, okay, we can do something here. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's that, and I, I definitely also think the writing just did not help anything, because there's nothing there. Yeah, it felt very, like, like, I hate to do prequel dunking, but it very much felt like the Star Wars prequels sometimes. Oh, yeah. In terms of, like, okay, there are clearly good ideas here, but something is just not clicking. I don't know. Power Rangers Samurai was directed by George Lucas. Yeah, no, and it's just like, I and like, I mean, for for the prequels, you can go back and say it's because a lot of it was just George Lucas did not have somebody to tell him scale this back a bit or yeah. go another direction with this. Nobody was editing him, and like, so then you have somebody like Dave Filoni who comes in later and like picks up the pieces and tries to make it all connect together and make it mean something. Whereas here, I don't know if, again, I don't know if it's that too many cooks situation where the writing was slacking, there was too much input coming from Saban and Nickelodeon, or just something just wasn't connecting with the director and the actor. But yeah, I think that that's definitely kind of a big component of why Samurai Falls is a little bit flat for me. And it's kind of sad because it's like, there again, there are good ideas here and there's like, a good source of drama that, like, I feel like in better hands would have been so elevated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, like, we know Power Rangers is capable of doing this. Like I said, the last season of Power Rangers that we watched was fucking RPM. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, just, this definitely feels like we've taken several steps back. We yeah. went from very developed characters to just, yeah. So, uh, like we mentioned, he was, like, that's kind of the big source of drama that they tried to play out with Jaden, but not fully, was he was the decoy head of the clan, because basically, to be Red Ranger, you had the sealing power to seal Master Xandroid away forever. Uh And he had an older sister that then went on to go train to just learn that sealing power, while his dad... They didn't flat out say his dad's dead, but we know his dad's dead. Yeah. Uh, you know, died doing an incomplete seal. Yeah. Just to, just to buy everyone more time. So Jaden was then trained to, as the second brother, then trained to basically be a false head. So Xander would just target him mm-hmm. and Lauren would be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it just kind of fell on itself because it's like, you you kind of had it introduced at the, like, one of the episodes, I think it's like Sticks and Stones, where it's like, you have a terrible secret. 
but they just really don't expand on it. Again, they don't expand him kind of warming up to people. Yeah, and, like, they'll touch back on it a couple of times across the series where, like, Jaden will do, like, oh, if only they knew, like, kind of wistful thing or, like... I think there's like a couple other times they alluded that Jaden's hiding something before Lauren is introduced. But yeah, I just like that could be done such a great twist and like such a great source of drama if like they developed it out further or just like actually like tried to build something around it. It's very similar to Max a goddamn robot. Yeah, cuz like Mac being a robot is a great twist. If it was the series was better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I felt like this would have been a way better twist if it just handled better. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I definitely want to talk about that more when we get to Lauren. So <laughs> yeah. And I guess our last thing we wanted to talk about Jaden is fuck your son, Honda Civic. He's got a horse outside. Yeah. Cause it's like, so I guess, cause you know, again, this being based off of like, you know, samurai movies and all of that in Shinkanger, like horses come back multiple times across the series and like Jaden has like a like they're not spells so much but like he can use like the the uh symbol power to like make the symbol for horse and <laughs> he 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 summons a horse so of course mentally i'm just like we're thinking back to the rubber bandits with fuck your Honda Civic. I've got a horse outside. <laughs> <laughs> Jade is just will ride around on a fucking horse. And I'm just like, was that part of the casting process? Did they just need to find somebody who could ride a horse? <laughs> Which like, we know there's plenty of horse riders in New Zealand. There's that story that goes around about like when, um, when they were casting extras for one of the battles in, Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. I think, in the third movie. Yeah. Um, they called, you know, they put out a call for horse riders because they needed a bunch of people to, like, ride, you know, be on this, like, scene riding horses. But not enough men showed up. So they just put a bunch of women in fake beards. <laughs> uh, that was another thing I want to uh, tap on real quick is, uh, like, you just did not realize that his actor, Alex Hartman, was actually from California. Yeah, like, I was just assumed that, like, he was, like, anybody else in this particular era was just fucking, like, from Australia or New Zealand. Yeah, we're we're out of that era now. It's like, they're, they're just, you know, hiring people mostly from North America and flying them down. But they're still filming in New Zealand because it's cheaper. <laughs> it's cheaper. Uh, so now we move on to Kevin, who doesn't even have a last name. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's multiple ones of that this season. <laughs> oh yeah, it's just like we're not even gonna bother with last names on some of the, on some of our characters. Uh, so Kevin is our second in command. He's our Blue Ranger, and uh, he's extremely uptight and entrenched in tradition. And that's about it with Kevin. Like that's about it. <laughs> yeah, we like we've talked about it, but we are definitely back to the like the era of like one note power ring. No, there was a couple of times that happened in fucking. Disney era, don't get that wrong. Um, Operation Overdrive. <laughs> I was about to say Operation Overdrive. Yeah, we're. I, I, I did not want to open this up to us dunking on Operation Overdrive constantly, but like, <laughs> if the shoe fits, <laughs> Operation Overdrive, something that was that was like wasn't bad in our eyes, but definitely wasn't good. Yeah, it's very mid. Oh God, did yeah. I say mid? Fuck MJF. Okay. <laughs> 
No, I, th- I just gonna say you've just been around like Gen Zers too much. That too. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. So Kevin's whole thing is that like he's just he he's one of those guys that like there's literally an episode where they realize that like, huh, Kevin hasn't been back yet, and he's like a d- guy you can absolutely set your watch to. Something is wrong. I I really love that it was just a minute late. Yeah, and they're like. Kevin's dead. Let's go check on him. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's how he's presented. And so, like, his main character are well, no, his main character trait in every episode is that, like, he'll do something that's kind of uptight or, like, very much, like, I'm going to count the number of, like, oats I eat in the morning because I need, I have a strict samurai diet and that I must follow. And if I go, Sylvia shows up with her cooking. Yeah. (laughs) Then you kind of have to throw that out the window. Yeah. It's like, "Mm, no, I mean, you know. Yeah. um, Sorry. No, yeah, no. And so Kevin, I will also say, is definitely one of the uh, more flat actors in the series. Even though he has one of the better line deliveries. Yeah, he does have one great line delivery about Mia's cooking. You should use it. Oh, about the, yeah, about these like, oh, it's a cookbook. You should use it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like, I don't know whether it's the actor or whether it's just Kevin is just, he's uptight. And a lot of comedy from Kevin comes from the fact he's uptight. Yeah, like the episode where they all got uh, stuck in inanimate objects, like, the, the the source of comedy and that comes from the fact that like Mike puts him in a tutu because he got caught like, he got trapped in a music box. Yeah. And so like the joke there is not you know is that they know Kevin's gonna hate that because he's uptight. It's like ha ha. Yeah. He's uptight. Um, I'm gonna say this too because I think like we we talked about the acting. It's in uh is definitely like maybe we'll just touch on it later, but it felt like with the acting, and mm-hmm. this is something I've seen specifically, like, with Kevin, but with others as well, is, like, the, f- like, the faces are very emotive, mm-hmm. but, like, the line delivery is, like, they're reading something off a page. Yeah, like, that's, I think that's definitely part of my problem with the acting of this, se- of this particular season. The season, like, when, when we say season, we mean samurai and super samurai, so, because right, we're just yeah. encapsulating them all together. Yeah, it, it, it because you brought that up, and I was just thinking, it's like, he had times where, like, there was a lot of emotive expression, but he delivered a line like this. And then again, Kevin's pretty much, I'm uptight, and it's a source of comedy. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah, it's, yeah, pretty much. Though, like, there's two things that, like, where it'll stand out from that. So, one, you have Kevin kind of has this, like, his emotional arc is that he before the series, like, when the series started, he basically was told that, like, you know, you're going to get called on to be a samurai at some point and you're just going to have to drop everything in your life and so as we know that he was training to be an olympic swimmer like and so like you know it said that he's a really good swimmer and he's training to go to the olympics but like when he's called upon to be a samurai he has to basically give that up yeah and it, it it's like it comes up a couple of times like there's a central focus episode on him where like his old Swim team comes back into town and they're all mad at him because they think he betrayed the team by just up and leaving them. But he can't tell them that he's a Power Ranger and all of that fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, but he still helps them win the swim meet. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, one of the main thing that shocked me about that is like, wow, we can say Olympics on TV now. Yeah, like, uh, for those who don't know, it's like I think what it's trademark. It's either copyright or trademark. I forget which. Yeah, it's one of those. Um, and they're very the IOC is very strict about their copyright. So like, it's it's similar to how like around the time whenever the super bowl happens a lot of commercials or television shows will be like oh it's time for the big game yeah they, they can always say the big game because the super bowl is they, you have to pay to use the super bowl yeah basically. and like in certain current like in certain commercials like slight insider knowledge here you can't say olympics or uh I think even Team USA. I think you could say Team USA in certain contexts, but like, yeah, you can't. A lot of times, you can't say Olympics in commercials. Which is which is why in Power Rangers, when we first had something like the Olympics, it was the Pan Global Games. Yeah, and a lot of TV shows do that whenever they want to talk about whenever you want to have something that is based around the Olympics. They might do like. You know, something like the Pan Global Games, or there's, I, mean, I know there's like one other example in another children's television show that I'm just totally blanking on right now. You know what I just realized? It's probably that sweet uh, money Saban got from Michael Eisner. Yeah, like I'm sure that, <laughs> I'm sure that clears some shit right up. Um, but it was Thank fun. you, Michael Eisner. Yeah. Now we can call it the Olympics. Yeah, and like the funny thing about that is that like it was really funny uh, the other night. Sid was just like, "Oh, just like Nickelodeon, like can they could they air the Olympics at that time?" Like, no, NBC's had the contract for like ever. Yeah, I did. I didn't know like because it's just of how like stuff gets bought up. I'm like, was this a part of this? Like, were they a part of under the NBC umbrella? I don't know anymore. You know. Yeah, and like. And you're like, no, that's, you know, that's via common CBS. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like oh, okay. yeah. Due to my job, I have to know these things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but yeah, like, literal shoot job, I do actually know these things. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess I think, thank you, Michael Eisner, for being a sucker. Yes. All, always and forever. I think that's just going to be a thing from Ranger Splane from now on, at least through this era, is just talking about how much of a sucker Michael Eisner was. Oh, absolutely. And then <laughs> You did all that research, let's dunk on him. Yeah, like, I didn't spend all, uh, most of a year reading Disney War not to, like, constrain that to one episode, you know? <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, like, the other surprising thing about Kevin, and we'll talk about it later, is that Kevin gets a really significant moment in, like, one of the final dramatic moments moments of the series and it just made me go damn kevin okay (laughs) (laughs) uh but the the other thing i want to point out is uh when i was watching this uh someone uh, it was like in my friend group at the time um old friend of mine uh he he did swimming in high school and everything and i just remember him like you know hearing about kevin and his olympic dreams and he was just like not with that form you're not going to the olympics (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's just that's rough (laughs) (laughs) and it just might be one of those cases where it's like they just planned for this actor to be they just planned for this character to be a swimmer but did not cast a swimmer as for the actor which is fine you don't see like a lot of kevin swimming you just see it like three episodes so yeah yeah. what's a kid gonna know about his form right you know it's it's one of those it's like it's passable for television but you know if you were to actually 
like look at it as a competitive swimmer, you'd be like, no. Yeah, it's like you you ain't getting to the Olympics anytime soon, yeah. buddy. Yeah. Uh, uh, so our next uh, person is uh, Mia Watanabe. She we actually find out her last name with her. I think her wallet when it gets missing, and they have to like Spike has to find who you know where she lives. Right. But yeah, she's she's the only other person that actually has a last name. It's like, yeah, so, and she's our pink ranger, and one of her main things is that she's very sweet, but she cannot cook. Everyone everyone tries to hide that they don't like her cooking. <laughs> and uh, I really love at the end of it, though, she's just like, I can tell you guys hated my cooking, okay? It's like, I'm going to culinary school to get better. Yeah. Uh uh, that we honestly talked about that like her cooking arc would have been a better go-to i feel like because at the beginning of it she's like oh you know i just want to be like every other normal girl and meet my prince charming right and then it drops off from there she never meets her prince charming and um yeah just like you could have just been like oh you know i want to be a famous like chef someday you know or yeah. something and and everyone's like, God, your cooking's awful, but we gotta hide it from you because you really want to be a chef. It's like, and, we don't, and you're a friend. We don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much Mia's character. She's she's got older sister vibes too. Yeah, and like it's definitely like, especially in that really weird episode with her uh, her brother. Yeah. And we have a note here that says, "Not in the Folgers coffee way." Yeah, we'll get to that. Oh, my God. So, like, there's a whole episode where her brother comes back. Well, well I say comes back. Like, he only like he shows up in multiple episodes. He just shows up in the one. <laughs> it's one of those episodes. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so her brother comes to visit. And, like, he wa- he asks Mia to be um in his band with him for this one episode. Like, no, for, not, for the one episode. But, like, basically his, his band is performing a gig and he wants Mia to sing in the band because, like, they did when they were kids. And she just fucking gets on his ass about the fact that he's trying to chase dreams of being a rock star instead of going to medical school. It, it was like... I'm just watching that episode and I'm just like, why is she acting like a mom? Yeah, and, like, even, like, in the episode, she's just like... Man, I sound like mom right now. Like, she's fully aware of how much of a hard-ass she's being for no real reason at all. But, like, she still will spend time just being like, Ugh, my brother's being so irresponsible. He needs to go to med school instead of focusing on, like, this band stuff. Like, he can't do both. And also, like... And, like, then you find out the end of the episode, like, towards the end of the episode, one, he's playing a gig to raise money for the hospital... And two, he's still actually going to med school. Yeah. And like, so, like, Mia, you are just being, you are just being a bitch for no reason. <laughs> I, I feel like it's one of those things, it's like the dramatic tension comes from not actually talking to each other, so it's just a very annoying dramatic tension. Yeah, because I'm just like, surely if you'd actually talk to your brother instead of just, like, jumping in to immediately chastise him for, like, pursuing his like hobbies and maybe doing something that was outside of your family norm yeah because it's like especially because like power rangers so often does those plot lines of like you need to follow your dreams and like i i don't know it's just a very weird like follow your dreams episode (laughs) yeah oh boy i can't wait to touch on one in ninja steel let's put a pin in that yeah uh yeah it just kind of came off as like 
she came off more like a mother than she did like an actual older sister. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, this is weird. You guys could have just talked it out or, you know, basically I kind of, it's like, this does happen in real life, but it's like, it's one of those things. It's like the dramatic tension being around nobody communicates properly is one of the most annoying things to me. Cause I'm like, you, you could have just solved this by talking to each other. Pretty much. Kind of the last thing about Mia, besides the fact that, you know, she talks about wanting to meet her Prince Charming and, but, you know, they never follow through on that. Like, she's not, she's not the heterosexual focus. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Even throughout that entire bridal episode where she talks about how much she wants to, like, get married and find her Prince Charming and all of that. And the fact that, you know, she can't cook and she's kind of had a weird episode with her older brother that wasn't even fully focused on her. And it was like her, like, spotlight episode. Yeah, that was weird, because it was, like, it was mostly focused on her brother and Antonio. Yeah. Then it was actually on Mia. And it's, like, you could have, you know, I I think that was another thing that annoyed me. It's, like, maybe you could have actually, like, explored Mia's character more there of why she is upset with her brother instead of just painting her in such a bad light. Yeah. It's, like, you know, maybe, like, her brother, like, broke a promise to her or something like that like or yeah or like he he's you know he was always like this fun loving younger brother type yeah and she was like and you know she's always known him as someone who just skirts responsibility and you know she just kind of has that and doesn't want to accept that he's grown up mm-hmm. in in a, in a certain way it's like there's a lot of like you could have done with that and instead of you just paint her out as like a, a, a mother, a very stern mother towards her own brother. Yeah. Meanwhile, her brother's smooching Antonio. Yeah, pretty we'll much. <laughs> yeah. But the, the other thing we wanted to really kind of pick is like her big lesbian energy, particularly like, like we were just like laughing through the series about her and, and Emily, but really, it really came to a head when Lauren came into the picture. Yeah, because like the only, pr- and we'll talk about this with Lauren, is that the only person who actually sincerely likes Mia's cooking is Lauren. <laughs> yeah. So, like, oh my god, did Mia find her Prince Charming and it's Lauren? Is this an Utena situation? And they, they just <laughs> never follow up on that. <laughs> a, 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 a much happier Utena situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I mean, that's not hard. <laughs> that That's not hard. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, oh my goodness. But, uh, yeah, we're, uh, that's pretty much Mia, and now we're going to move on to our another uh, women character of the series, which is Emily. She has no last name again. Her entire vibe just feels like like innocent farm girl, but it kind of borders on trad wife. Like you're just looking through someone's Instagram who's being like, "Oh, I'm cute in cottagecore," and then it's like, mm, I feel like there's some trad wife energy here, you know? Yeah, like it's just a, it's just a bit, just a skosh. It might just be us looking back, yeah, <laughs> and having to to like live through this like era of Instagram and all that. And I, I think it just might be us looking back and feeling those. Fun. Uh, like her story is like her older sister was was next in line to be Yellow Ranger, but got sick with something. Got s- something, you know. It's it's the mysterious illness shit, and Emily had to go take over her deuce mm-hmm. and. uh She's very clumsy at the beginning, and she apologizes too much. And I just made it. I was like, ah, "We don't do that." Yeah, that that was kind of like something. I'm like, boy, if this was like a much darker Power Rangers, they would be like, "Why does Emily apologize all the time?" Right. 
Uh, <sighs> trauma. Mm-hmm. We don't have time to unpack all that, <laughs> listeners, about us. Right. But, um, if you apologize a lot, we suggest you go see a therapist. Yeah, basically. Yes. But anyway, yeah, so Emily, yeah, that's the whole thing is that she's clumsy and all that. And, like, and she has this entire episode, though, like, kind of one of her first focus episodes. Because she gets a couple, honestly. Um, not a whole lot, but a couple. Um, and one of her first episodes, she talks about how, you know, she's always been made fun of her entire life. And she learns, like, just to be, like, like you know, it's the, I think it was the Sticks and Stones episode where she learns just yeah. basically, like, just to let it roll off her back and, like, not take people yeah. seriously, like, when they, they talk to her like that. Uh, yeah. Which is, like, an overall good message, I think. But, uh, like, the high, entire thing with her kind of character came across, like, that one episode of Powerpuff Girls where Bubbles is like, I'm going to be hardcore! Which they did do an episode of that. Yeah. Um, her, I think it's Super Samurai. Okay. Yeah, it's Super Samurai. Yeah. Because I think the, the episode the, doesn't ha- involve her getting the Super Samurai, like, power-up later in the episode. Yeah. Which I was just like, oh my god, finally, because I didn't think that her or Mia were going to get them at any point. <laughs> and I forgot. So, like, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. Right. <laughs> um... Yeah, so this was this was an entire episode where like everyone gets hit by this monster that makes them eat uncontrollably, mm-hmm. and the only person that doesn't get hit by this this monster is Emily. And earlier in that episode, she had been like shopping with Mia, and you know she puts on something that's kind of like tough out tough military outfit, and Mia's like, "Oh, Emily, you're just not that tough." And Mia leaves her wallet. Yeah. So Spike finds Mia's wallet, and they go return it to the dojo but you know in the background all the rangers are like eating everything in sight and it's crazy and she's like oh god we gotta do something about bulk and spike Mm -hmm. and so emily just becomes a dominatrix yeah and that's the best way i could put it yeah so i mean technically she's supposed to be a drill instructor like she's acting like a drill instructor they put her in like one of the dr k wigs um, one of the better looking wigs I have seen in Power Rangers. Yeah, no, it definitely has one of those physics of like wigs don't work like that. <laughs> yeah, because like there's the, she'll take it off and like all of her blonde hair comes flowing out behind her. It's like no, not no. It it would be in a wig cap, and it would it it, it would just look messy. Yeah, but like ask any ask any cosplayer or drag queen. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, so she um. But yeah, her entire vibe as the drill sergeant just basically comes across as professional dominatrix. Yeah. She 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 found out she she is she is a top and she's a dom through that episode. Yeah. Which is funny because earlier in that episode we made the joke about her and Mia being both bottoms. Yeah. <laughs> then they found out they were both bottoms. Yeah. And so like I mean, obviously, like, you know, kind of a joke, but also just like because the vibe like cause at one point she's like, okay, you're going to all like hold up this, like, watermelon and, like, stand above this egg and not break the egg or drop the watermelon until I get back. Yeah, it's like the egg, the, the eggs were, like, under their, their, uh, chins and, like, I think hands. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're trying to do this balancing exercise while in, like, a deep squat position. Yeah, and, so. like, there are definitely some dominatrixes or, or, uh, or doms or whatever that will, like, make you do shit like that. And, yeah, like, like punish you <laughs> if you fail. Yeah. So. so yeah. Which, which is very, 
very funny that like this gets referenced later in the series. I think on the Christmas episode, it's like, is that drill instructor here? Yeah, because they are terrified of her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as we kind of mentioned, like some Yezle, Ye- as it was once called yeah. long ago in TV Tropes land, when TV Tropes ruled the internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> with Mia, and I think he, the one you really mentioned was like, oh, you'll be a beautiful bride someday. It's like, you want to be her bride? Yeah, because Emily is just a little bit too encouraging when she tells Mia that. It's like, okay, are you are you vying to be her bride? Are you like, are you, are you projecting something? Because you know that like, <laughs> like one of you is straight. I don't know. <laughs> so she gets... So she obviously doesn't get with Mia because we're not going to have lesbian Power Rangers until Dino Fury. Uh, she gets with Mike. What's your response to that? Was one of one of my favorite responses. You're like, really? Yeah, because it basically okay. Like it happens a total of fucking twice in the series. The first time was in the RPM crossover, and we'll get to the RPM crossover because I have things to say. Um. So, first was in the RPM crossover when Scott tells him, like, oh, you should really talk to Emily. Like, she's clearly into you. And Mike is, like, happy about this? I'm like, what? Where? where? I was just like, what? Where did this come from? What? This is probably one of the better examples of Power Rangers having bad heterosexuality. Because uh, Power Rangers, up until this point, it was either like, eh, okay, we see where you got this from, like, with, say, Theo and Lily. Mm-hmm. Like, at least, you know, it was the whole thing of, like, they already had an established relationship and everything, and, you know. Or even going, could there, yeah. Could there have been more, and, uh, but, or the really, really great example that we have seen so far in this series, which is Wes and Jen. Yeah, we're like... Wes and Jen, so far, is my favorite romance in Power Rangers because, like, they had this thing that built throughout the entire series and they said, I loved you to in the last episode of Time Force and then Jen had to fucking leave. Ah. So I was like, no! <sighs> but, like, yeah, that but- was actually decently well-built, like, romance and even, like... I was not a huge fan of the heterosexuality in, like, Mystic Force, but, like, you know, it kind of built that, like, Maddie had kind of a crush on Nick, and, like, it was sort- it seemed like it was sort of reciprocated, so maybe in the future they could, like, develop a relationship, but it's, like, it's not like they were, like, in a relationship in the last episode, you know? Yeah, it was more of, like, hey, let's see where this goes at the end. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was, I think my favorite example of just two people hooking up was, uh, Taylor and Eric. Oh. It's more of, they boned, that's it. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But, so, my thing with this is, like, they start, I feel like they wanted to plant that seed in that episode, the Sticks and Stones episode. Because that was the episode where, like, Mike and Emily had to work together. Mm And, you know, obviously Mike's seen something new about Emily. Especially, like, at the beginning of the episode, he's, like, blowing her off, essentially, Mm -hmm. over her wanting to help for him falling and hurting his back. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like a weird thing. It's like, why are you you pampering me? Right. Uh, So, you know, and now, and then he warms up. It's like, oh, you know, Emily's definitely, like, she cares a lot and 
gone through a lot, all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, maybe a seed was like trying to plant there. And, you know, then it's just kind of like it's not touched on almost at all. Maybe just have like a fleeting couple of moments where Mike's like, I'm really concerned about Emily. Until Scott says that line. Mm-hmm. And then, again, it's barely touched on until the final end of it, which which is just like, Emily's like, I'm going to go help, like, get my nurse my sister back to health. And then, like, Mike holds her hand and is like, I'm coming with her. One, that was very scandalous, I felt like, for a kid's show because they're not married. Right. Uh, that just is my opinion. It's like, oh, okay. Um, all right. But the other was just like, you had no buildup to this. Yeah. Zero. And what really gets me is like, the actors had decent enough chemistry where it wouldn't have felt like forced or awful mm-hmm. if you took time to write this. Right. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, it just did not feel fully put together and like like i said it just sort of like especially in that last episode where like they hadn't built on it since the episode with scott so like when mike in that episode is just like oh i'm gonna go with emily like to help her sister and they hold hands i'm like what yeah it's like when did you two fuck off screen yeah i'm just i was totally confused but it's like it's like when did you two get together in any sort of capacity to allow this to be the payoff other than like Mike sometimes shows concern for Emily. Yeah, like, okay. If in the last episode they did something similar to Mystic Force where, like, Mike realizes that he has not really said anything to Emily and it's just, like, or even similar to Jungle Fury where, like, he's like, hey, look, I know you're going to, like, go with your sister, but could I maybe go with you? Yeah. And, like... Like if it, it was something like that, I would have been still a little annoyed, but like, <laughs> just like, just more roll your eyes. Yeah, it would have like, been like, uh, okay, whatever. sure, whatever. Like, sure, yeah, this whatever. thing that they mentioned in one episode. Um, but the fact that it went from like zero to 60 to like 150 with like, <laughs> like no, a- with no, like any sort of build whatsoever. Like I said, it's like they're holding hands and he's enthusiastic, enthusiastically going to live each- with each other without getting married. Right. Sc- this is scandalous stuff for children's shows, mind you. Right. And I guess I just was not thinking about it too hard about like, you know, no. so that, that plausible deniability of just like, oh, I'm just going to I'm just going to help with like taking care of like me, like w- not me. Fuck. <laughs> with emily's sister um that like i i didn't like think about it with that in fact it was scandalous until you said so i'm like oh i guess you have a point yeah it's like but i, I felt like they needed a better build for that good scandalous moment in a children's show right so it just comes off as goofy and if like your first time watching it, you're just like what well, I mean, I guess because, like, I guess they're going to technically go live with her sister and not, like, live yeah. alone together. Yeah, I, I guess. But I, I, it, it really, it's just, like, there was no good build for that moment. Yeah, that that is In true. That is true. Yeah, like you said, it, it is, like, you went from zero to, like, I want to say zero to, like, 15 miles an hour to, like, 150. Yeah, pretty much. Because you just, you mentioned it once. And then all of a sudden they're at the end and they're they're together together instead of like like you said like if it was just like oh uh, can I just uh, can I go help you out and Emily's like oh yeah sure 
Oh yeah, the other one was like the other hint at the feelings was I think the Christmas episode from Samurai where she's like, "Oh, Mike's kind of special." That was it. God, this that was <laughs> mm, this fucking franchise. Sometimes I swear to God, <laughs> it really, it really is like when I've been thinking back on Power Rangers and how it portrays heterosexuality and also kind of my okayness with a lot of it. It just is like. As long as you actually build a rapport between these characters, I don't mind heterosexuality. It's when it's just heteronormative. Yeah. And it just kind of comes out of nowhere because those two characters hung out for a bit or something. Then I'm like, no, I don't, I don't like this. This is lazy. Yeah. Like, give me, give me the payoff where I'm like, no, you stay in the past with him. Yeah, exactly. Stay! Or like, even with Nick and Maddie, I'm just so like, Okay, I kind of get it, because they did have, like, it It was kind of obvious that Maddie had a little bit of a crush on him. Like. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, yeah. But, like, nobody has reached that level of less than Jen. You can't reach that level of less than Jen if you don't put the fucking work into it. Yeah. It's just, it's like, no effort into this. Yeah. Uh, which, we're, uh, I, I hate warning you about this as well. We're going to be seeing a repeat of this in Megaforce. Oh. Uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, because Emily's character that's later got tied to sec like heterosexuality. Let's uh, now talk about Mike, who just really got tied to that like Seth thing. So he, I feels more underdeveloped than Emily. Yeah. So like Mike, I feel like is the most inconsistently written character on the series. Which for a series where characters don't really happen, says a lot. Um, and, and, and he also happens to have, like, the, like more episodes than, like, about the most episodes that just Jaden. So it's like, this is a feat to have him not be this developed. Yeah, so, like, Mike, his, like, in the series, he is very just inconsistently written in that regard. Because, like, he'll either be the fun-loving guy who just wants to have fun and play video games professionally. Or he is just the lovable team asshole. Lovable in quotes. Quotes, because sometimes it's just like, no, Mike, you are a total asshole. Yeah, and like, when we were writing this out, I was like, he's not a garbage boy like Rocky, and my most backhanded compliment I have ever given a character. Yeah, because it's just like, he's not, yeah, obviously, like, he has a little bit more character than Rocky, and he's a little bit less of, like, an obviously obnoxious asshole, because he's not, like, you know, with the whole Emily thing, he's not being, like, an obnoxious jerk about her, like, well, then again, she'd have to show interest in other men. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, because, like, there would be times where Rocky, like, is supposed to be the good guy, and he's just being a complete jerk to women for no real reason. It's like, why won't you date me? Like, ugh, Rocky. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, just because he's not a garbage boy like Rocky, it's like, oh, the bar's literally in the dumpster. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just like, You'll see times where Mike's just a total asshole or just, you know, he's fun loving or I think like one of his better moments that I wish they could build to was when he was the first one to kind of offer friendship to to Lauren. Yeah, because like clearly he does have like moments like that, like in the Christmas episode where he gives the bike that uh, G gave him to Bulk and Spike because they didn't have anything for Christmas. Yeah. Like, yeah, after after this whole buildup of everyone forgot about you, Mike. Yeah, like, like, which felt kind of random, but like still shows that like, oh, well, Mike does clearly have a heart and cares about people. 
I yeah. I just wish they'd shown that more instead of him just kind of just being like, tee hee hee, I'm going to be a troublemaker. <laughs> you know, uh, which is really sad because I, I'll have to say like his actor, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's like H- Hector David Jr. Mm-hmm. was, he was pretty charismatic, I thought. Yeah. I, and it's yeah. just like, this, this character was just like, yeah, pretty you know. much. Um, yeah. It, it, it's almost as if like, because I, I remember it's like, I liked Mike better than this. And I'm like, that was probably due to the actor's performance. Yeah. Like Mike is like. In terms of actors on the show, like, I would say, you know, Hector is probably one of the better ones, but, like, he still is not given a whole ton to work with. Yeah. It's one of those, it's like, he made Mike shine enough that, like, with, like, I could look back, I looked back at Mike with a little bit of nostalgia goggles when I took them off. I'm like, oh, there's, like, nothing there, but thank you for trying, yeah, you know? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, you know, it's just like, he's not total garbage boy, but it's just like, they were just wildly inconsistent on again on like whether or not he's a troublemaker or whether or not he's just fun loving and needs to kind of temper down a little bit uh i think one of the better episodes with him in it was actually when he was like having to be uh oh god with the come in the t- episode oh when he when he and uh kevin were locked t- together and you know they're the odd birds yeah that is one of the better episodes of the series like yeah. it's actually funny and, like, you do actually see, like, these character moments and kind of, like, an odd couple situation between Mike and Kevin, who have kind yeah. of been at loggerheads for most of the series. Because, like, obviously, like, Kevin is very strict and regimental and, like, I can't tell if he's uh, supposed to be an asshole or just autism coded. Probably more towards just being kind of an asshole. Yeah. Whereas, like... You know, Kevin is also an asshole, but he's, like, a different type of asshole. He's, like, very free-spirited and wants to have fun. And, like, clearly his his aspirations in life involve video games. He, it's very much like the, the episode where they meet in the middle is like, oh, this is like when you have the combination ADHD and autism. Yeah. <laughs> these are these are the two, two wolves inside of you, basically. Yeah. <laughs> or like that one meme I made with Eddie Kingston and CM Punk flipping each other off. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty much that. Yeah. Uh, but you got to see, like, Mike's like, oh, man, you know, I wish I was as good at, with the sword as you are. And Kevin's like, but I appreciate your creativity. And they kind of meet in the middle and see where they're both, you know, they're both serious about this, but in different ways. Yeah. And yeah, that, that was just one of the better episodes. And it made Kevin shine. It made Mike shine. And then we were just kind of like. Back to square one. <laughs> yeah, because, like, that's definitely a thing that comes up for Mike occasionally that, like, they never really fully develop, is that Mike kind of struggles with struggles with symbol power and sort of the formalities of being a samurai. It's, like, the third episode, yeah. too. Yeah, like, And it, it's, like, this is kind of the start of his character, and it just kind of... They'll, they'll like occasionally it's... touch back on the fact that Mike struggles with symbol power, but, like, it never really develops beyond that one episode and kind of just being a one-off joke occasionally. Yeah. Yeah, it just goes up and down, up and down. Yeah. Like, almost everybody else. Yep. Uh, also, G hates him. It's probably... <laughs> Yeah, like, that is one of the most consistent things about the series, is that G kind of, like, G's relationship with Jaden, not Jaden, G's relationship with Jaden is good. Uh, G's relationship with Mike. (laughs) 
it's very fraught. Yeah. Like, they, they eventually do see, like, they see eye to eye in one episode, and it's just back to Chi just hating this fucker. Yeah, and, like, occasionally, like, he'll listen to what G says, but mostly, and then, you know, G obviously got him a fucking, like, motorcycle for Christmas. Uh, yeah. But, like, <laughs> most of the time, G is just like, oh, no, something's happening to Mike. And just, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Oh no! Anyway, or shoving him in a closet. Oh god, that was. I think that was the prime example of G. Like, doesn't like Mike. Is that like the, the episode where they have to like they try to help Antonio face his fears uh, after he gets like transformed to a fish, and all of a sudden he can't fish anymore. He can't interact with fish. He can't eat fish. Yeah. Um, is where they're like they're trying to do. Was it like not? Immersion therapy? Exposure. Exposure therapy, yeah, that's it. therapy. Yeah. It's like, it's not immersion therapy, that's different. But yeah, so yeah, they're trying like, to do the exposure therapy with all the rangers to show, like, Antonio, see, like, if we can face our fears, so can you. Like, Mike is scared of enclosed spaces. And like, I think it was uh, G, and I want to say Kevin. And Kevin. And Kevin were just like, come on, Mike, get in the closet. Closet. <laughs> we're just gonna shove you in here. And, like, G seemed to be enjoying it just a little too much. So did Kevin in a lot of ways. Yeah, like, they, they, G and Kevin are, like, the We Hate Mike club. Yes. <laughs> oh. I'm sure they're just, like, texting each other after the series is over, and it's just, like, uh, <laughs> Emily got with Mike, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, so now we're going to go uh, towards kind of the bright char- bright spot character of the series. Oh, Antonio. <laughs> uh, Antonio Garcia, which uh, the first note I put in, even before we wrote our outline, was gay, gay, homosexual, gay. Yeah, that is very much the vibe of, like, uh, Antonio. Is that I, I know this might just be for the fact that, like, we were still dealing with the dregs of metrosexuality. Um... <laughs> In the in the what early in the early two thousands in the early two thousands and then also kind of like we had like you know your emo boys your your Zac Efron's your your Jonas Brothers <laughs> so not saying any of them are gay but like you, you it, it was. It was definitely, like, it's, like, we're used to, like, gay on Power Rangers and also making gay, uh, but we were, I was just, like, oh, my God, you're, like, as, as soon as we were watching this, I'm, like, Ashley's gonna realize Antonio is so fucking gay for Jaden. Yeah. And, like, within the first time those two meet, you're, like, oh, my God, those two are gay. Yes, yes, because, like, Antonio's whole backstory is that, like, when he was younger, he was, like, the only friend Jaden had. And, like, but then he had to move away with his family, who were, I think, fishmongers. And, like... Fishmongers and fishermen. Yeah. And so, like, mm. Jaden sent him with the squid zord, which, uh, G has been mad about that for years, apparently. <laughs> it's like, you gave this to your boyfriend? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you weren't supposed to do that. He's like, I was a kid. I didn't know better. Yeah. Um, which I think that was a lie, but it's still funny. Yeah. But yeah, so like, so he gives him like the squid zord as a, as a, as a parting gift. And then for years, all like Antonio could think about is training to be a samurai and getting back to Jaden and like pledging fealty to the, the Sheba clan. And it's just like, damn. And then when Jaden meets him, it was kind of one of the like, moments of Jaden's character coming out. 
He is so happy to see Antonio. Yeah, and like it's a it's a source of conflict when Antonio comes back because he he self trains to be a samurai, like yeah. using like digital technology versus well, I mean it's all kind of digital, but like it's specifically like he's like using programming and digital technology versus like the symbol power and like drawing symbols to like kind of um so you know to morph and summon things and perform like um illusions yeah um like like that kid's dad oh god that episode (laughs) sorry (laughs) i had forgotten about that episode until you mentioned it (laughs) i just remembered that i'm sorry i mean because like okay most of the like just as a side tangent here like most of the episodes the plot lines kind of deal with them like making multiple people sad or stressed out or att- to, attempted to, murder um, of mul- to, to flood the sand, yeah. yeah, to flood the Sanzu River. But like this one episode, they're like, "Oh, we're gonna make somebody give up on their dreams because it's the saddest thing you can do, and it'll flood the Sanzu River." So they just go after this one fucking kid who's <laughs> <laughs> like father's off in the war. Yeah, so his father's stationed overseas. They don't say where, but probably afghanistan we were in a forever war at that point um anyway so like his his father's stationed overseas and like he's really sad about it and this monster basically tells him oh if you don't play in your little league game i'll and, and basically give up on playing little league the thing you love most in the world i'll bring your dad back (laughs) Percy lies of course yeah they go to the game and everything, and, like, the coach was like, oh, the trash man, you know, he got this out, and he, you know, saved this for you, basically. Yeah, and then, and- like, Jaden summons, like, an illusion of, like, his dad to tell him, I love you, son, have a good game. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, um, back to Antonio. Back to Antonio. <laughs> but, yeah, Antonio kind of was, like, especially Kevin, like, they clashed the most, mm-hmm. because... Like, Kevin is very traditional, and here's Antonio being outside of that. Yeah. And basically and just being like, oh, yeah, I taught myself how to do this. And, like, it's just like, no, you can't self-teach how to be a samurai. It's like, well, first of all, none of you are Japanese except Mia. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, fuck off! <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, it was, uh... But yeah, it's like, you have, like, Antonio came from, like, this very, like, working class background. I love that they met, actually, at the fish market when they were kids. Oh, yeah. Like, G was just taking Jane into the fish market to go get fish, and, like, they met each other, and it's like, oh, it was just instant connection and sparks, and then, you know... They they had, you know, training, like, sessions where, like, Jaden was showing him some stuff and playing it around in terms of, like, sword fighting and uh, with really bad acting from children from New Zealand. Yeah. Like, uh, they didn't even try to hide their accents. <laughs> it was glorious. But, you know, and then, like, Jane and, you know, Antonio, basically, he, he wanted to make the biggest entrance and everything. And when he finally came back, it's like, Jane, it took a while for Jane to recognize him. And he's like, oh, Antonio. And it's like, oh, my God, are they going to kiss? <laughs> they should have. They really should have. What was it I said, like, later when, like, Jaden's leaving because it's like, well, Lauren's the head of everyone now. It's like, he should have given <laughs> Antonio a, fr- a goodbye friendship kiss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> you know, it's just, um, but yeah, it's, it, but because of how his knowledge of like putting tech and, and basically magic together, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's able to resurrect zords that, you know, were once kind of like that were injured or defunct. And he was, you know, he's able to like put them back. He was able to help G with constructing the black box. You know, he ends up becoming like a big part of everything, essentially. Mm-hmm. But I really, tying back to his love for Jade, and I really do love at the end where he's like, well, you know, I'm not technically a samurai, so I can go look for Jaden. Yeah, it's just like, like, okay, you just clearly want to find your boyfriend. It's just kidding. Also, it was really like, he had this like thing, I think, with Mia's brother for a bit. Yeah, so like in the episode with Mia's brother, and this is what we mean by the episode seems like it's mostly focused on him and Antonio, is that Antonio's like, oh yeah, I'll play in your band instead. <laughs> and they just have like a weird, like a connection with each other, like, huh, did they kiss or something? Yeah, I, I bet. Like, they probably went on a date. They went on a date. Um, but yeah, like I said, like Antonio's like a very boisterous personality. Yeah. And like he, he, he basically wanted to make the absolute entrance. Like when they originally found him when he was fishing, he's like, oh no, this is not the right time. Yeah, he's very dramatic that way. (laughs) And then when he went to go introduce himself at the dojo and everything, he, you know, dressed up and had his, you know, fishing rod. He he was just full of personality. Probably had the most personality at all of the Rangers. Oh, for sure. Really should have kissed Jaden. Yes, obviously he should have kissed Jaden. But go on. No, I mean, I think I was just agreeing with you in terms of just like, yeah, no, he's the one that like... Once he arrived in the series, I think it just immediately boosted the energy of the whole thing. Oh, yeah. It's like we we were kind of a little bit more invested in the story because, of, like, we had someone with kind of a good... It's like that wasn't very... Like, Antonio doesn't have much in character growth, but he wasn't, like, flat, flat. Like, no. okay, there's some energy here. We are invested with what the Rangers are doing. He kind of brought out better things than other characters, mm-hmm. too, like, you know, played off of Kevin's uptightness, played off of Jaden, like, hiding himself from people, played off of Mike's playfulness to the point where Mike was like, uh, I, I'm way more serious than you, you know. Him and G really played off of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever he got a chance with, with Emily or Mia, he would play off of them. So it was just like, everyone was able to kind of grow thanks to Antonio being there. Yeah, no, I think that definitely helped a lot. Um, and I just, I did love the fact that, like, you know, they would, it sometimes, it, I couldn't tell if it was kind of offensive or just kind of adorable the way he would just randomly insert, like, Spanish phrases into things he would be doing. Yeah, it's it's very, that's very common. Yeah. Just kind of insert, if, if, you know, you come from a family that's Duolingo. Yeah. Um, uh, you, uh, you will just randomly insert words. That happens a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, no, so he would often do that. And then, like, I love the fact that Golden was just kind of one of his, like, because, yeah, obviously he's the Gold Ranger. But, like, so they just made that his thing where he would say, he would say if things were golden or having his golden moment. I don't know. I just like that a lot because I'm like, yeah, it's it's not a thing that, like, has often happened in terms of, like, obviously, you know, characters will dress, like, in their ranger color, but, like, I don't think that your color really plays into that much of their personality. Yeah. Whereas, like, J- Antonio was all about the gold. Yes. You know, shining bright and everything. Yes. 
So we're going we're going to actually our last ranger of the series, which is Lauren Sheba, the actual head of the Sheba clan. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> I'm just gonna say this up front. I love Lauren. Lauren deserves better. <laughs> yeah, like Ashley pretty much agrees with everyone else that that watched this. Lauren kind of deserved better than what she got. Yeah. Uh, cause it's like, this is such an interesting thing that again, like we touched this on earlier and I kind of really developed it out, um, and everything. And they just kind of were just like, here's Lauren. And we're just kind of copying what sort of happened in Shinkanger with it. And now say goodbye to Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that scene in the, in the Simpsons at the, uh, at the bid on a date thing. I don't remember what that was. Yeah. But, you know, Mo walking across the stage into the rejects, like. Yeah. Um, <sighs> it's like, why do us we stand here? It's so embarrassing. Yeah. But, yeah, so <sighs> Lauren's storyline is that, like, again, she's the real head of the Shiva clan. Like, older than Jaden. I think she's supposed to. Like, I found out, like, doing a little bit of research, because I guess that they, I think Kyle Higgins found this out when writing Shattered Grid, was that she's technically supposed to be 25, but they never actually mention it in the series. Wow. I had a feeling it's like she seems like, you know, early to mid-20s. Yeah, like, she- Because- Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, you're you're hinted at, I think, Mike and and possibly Emily are kind of the youngest, Mm -hmm. because Mike just graduated high school. So we are dealing with adult rangers. Yeah. Um, So, like, yeah, so she's a little bit older, but she's definitely sheltered, because, like, she's had to be alone learning the the ceiling power for, like, at this point, probably over a decade. Yeah. Um, And, like, so she's supposed to kind of be the, the true Red Ranger. Um, and as we mentioned, she has a weird fucking Folgers coffee moment with Jaden. Uh, yeah, that was, I just remember I was talking to you and like, you're like, this is so upsetting and weird. And I'm just, you know, I'm thinking in the back of my head, it's like, she's not acknowledging how just weirdly creepily incestuous this comes off. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of like, oh yeah, you know, they really just didn't do much with Laura. And you're like, no, it's like the Folgers coffee commercial. (laughs) And you're just like, and oh, like, thank oh. God she caught on it to it. <laughs> think, just like, we're just sitting here. Just, I felt like if we were in the same room, we would both have felt an, like uncomfortable with it. Like, we'd have been like, uh. Like, it literally uh. just felt like they were five seconds away from, like, Lauren putting, like, a bow on Jade and be like, you're my present this year. It's just like, uh. uh. <laughs> and I just feel like part of that was that whoever was writing it didn't know how to actually do, like, dramatic tension between siblings i don't know i I think like the directing and uh, the directing and writing of that it's just like these people just sound like they were lost lovers not brother and sister who haven't seen each other in a while yeah so like yeah (sighs) and like yeah that was yeah get go on yeah i mean just basically like kind of what we were talking about like yeah, that was just uncomfortable and, like, weirdly written. And then, like, um, my thing with Sh- Lauren is, like, I get that they were adapting Shinkanger and that, like, you know, I, I don't know the name of the the Red Ranger that Lauren is the equivalent of in Shinkanger. I believe Karu. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that she doesn't show up in many episodes, but I feel like they could have done more to kind of develop her character. Like, maybe have her, like, 
show up halfway through the series and like she's still training with the ceiling power but like titanium ranger that shit yeah like just titanium it in like she doesn't necessarily have to be like immediately rangering until like maybe like something similar to like when she's introduced where like Jaden is like on the ropes and getting his absolute ass kicked and that's when she finally jumps in and it's just like I have I have learned this I have learned the ceiling power. I'm ready to like take over the clan and mm-hmm. be be the leader of the Power Rangers and have that cause conflict instead of just being like, Oh, I'm here, I'm the I'm your red ranger and like the team's just going along thinking that they're gonna have two red rangers and then Jaden's like, I must leave now and everybody's being like, like, Oh, you're fine, but we want Jaden back. Yeah, it's just kinda like Oh, this is not handled very well. No, it is not. Um, And, like, Lauren, for the brief moments that we really get to interact with her, I feel like she is such a much more intriguing character than Jaden. Yeah. Because, like, obviously, you know, she's grown up isolated. She hasn't really gotten to see any of her family. She doesn't really have any friends. And so, like, she's kind of struggling with what that means. And like I said, she's yeah clearly been up and around good cooking because she clearly likes Mia's. She, it's like, well, obviously, it's like, well, haven't you ever cooked for yourself? She's like, no, I just eat. like we were thinking, like, does she calorie made or something? Right. Like I initially thought that, like, when she was eating Mia's food, like, oh, she's just trying to be nice and like she's gonna do like everything else everybody else does and spit it out, and then like she's like, oh my god, this is so good, like, and just is eating it by the spoonful. It's it's like this is what happens when you substand yourself on like MREs and calorie made. Yeah, pretty much. Because <laughs> MREs are meal rejected by the enemy. Oh god. Um, but yeah, that was kind of uh. So so we basically said because she like Mia's cooking, she is clearly Mia's prince. Yeah. So like Lauren's not introduced until like the end of the series. Like we had we took care of her arc within our last night of watching and we watched like five to six episodes at a time yeah and like and it just felt like okay she's introduced they're like okay she's the new head of the sheba clan she's our new red ranger and then she does the seal and fails and then it's like well uh i failed i'm gonna help you like make the the sheba fire disc but um you're the new you're back to being the leader jaden and it just felt like I made this tweet, and I still stand by it. Of it just felt like the series going women. Okay, that's enough feminism for one day. Because <laughs> this is the first time yeah. we've had like she's. Not, I know she's not the first like woman Red Ranger in the series. Like that was um was it Charlie Charlie from SPD? But like Charlie from SPD was introduced in the last episode of SP one of the last episodes of SPD. And you find out, oh, wait, no, she's actually evil. Yeah. And, like, instead of just actually developing on the whole thing about, like, where, um, where Kruger was asking Sky, would you follow, if I made, um, Sydney the Red Ranger, would you follow her in a battle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of, like, following up on that plot point. But, yeah, so, like, you know, we don't see, Char- you know, we don't meet Charlie until that last episode, and then she's evil the whole time. And then, like, this is the first time we actually get, like, a Red Ranger who's, like, a woman Red Ranger who's not secretly evil. She's there for a purpose. She is the team leader. She, you know, it seems like she's in a, like, she's going to be the one that carries them to save the day. And it's like, oh, no, she failed. And everybody on the team's getting kind of a dick to her because, like, they prefer the boring white boy that's her brother better. <laughs> yeah. That's like, okay, this is, 
fucking great. They just pretty much were like, yep, like you said, women. That's enough feminism for the day. Yeah, and then, like, in the final, like, episode, like, at the end, when, like, you know, they defeated Xandred, and the world is saved, and the Sanzu River sinks, um, like, like, obviously she gets her goodbye with Jaden, but then, like, she's, like, he's like, oh, do you want to say goodbye to the rest of the team? She's like, I'm not very good at goodbyes, and just leaves before everybody else leaves. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and just, yeah. So it just, it just feels like they just put her back on square one of just like, well, you have no friends, nobody likes you, and you're just gonna live in isolation for the rest of your life. She deserved better. Yeah, she absolutely deserved better. Alright, so we're finally moving on. Uh, unless you have anything else to say. No, I'm, I, I think I, I'm uh, yelled out about Lauren. <laughs> so we're moving on to uh, Mentor G with our, out, like, our start with our allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are like, he was just very we have food at home type. Yeah, our, our McDonald's chart. He is definitely going to chart closer to we have food at home. Unless it's Mike, then he orders one black coffee and leaves. Yeah, spe- it's all, but only specifically Mike. If Mike's yeah. in the car. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just completely no nonsense and just definitely a parental figure mm-hmm. who's just 100% done with everyone's shit. Oh, for sure. Like, one of my favorite bits with G is in, like, like we mentioned the episode with the fish and the immersion mm-hmm. therapy. Exposure therapy, rather. Yeah. And, yeah. um... Basically, like, I love how he finally kind of gets Antonio to snap out of it. Is that Antonio's in the park working on, I think, Light Zord? Yeah. And, um, he just walks up to Antonio, sticks a piece of sushi in his mouth, and he's like, eat this! Now get to work! Yeah! <laughs> it's just like, oh, we don't time for this! Well, yeah. yeah. Um... In some ways, I kind of liked him as that 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 sort of like hands-on mentor that was also a parental figure. Yeah, uh, I wish they developed him a little more, kind of as a parental figure to the Rangers, especially definitely to Jaden. Yeah, because obviously uh, it's it's kind of obvious that he's been the one who's been basically raising Jaden since Jaden's dad died. Yeah, and like preparing him to be you know the Red Ranger for when the Nylock attack and like be the head of the Sheba clan. Even though yeah. he's in on the whole decoy thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, he does have a sweet motorcycle. Oh, yeah. That was, like, the weird, like, one out-of-character thing for G was that, like, you know, obviously he's very no-nonsense and, like, has, you know, annoyed by, the you know, some of the team members who don't seem to take everything seriously. Mike. Antonio. Um, <laughs> and, like, often has, like, you know, the good mentally, like, advice and, like, works with the rangers constantly and was like actually there to be like a fucking mentor uh but then like he just has a sweet hog that he rides around town <laughs> and i think who steals it at one point is it mike i think mike steals it or something yeah and he's like my bike and then i, I love at the end he gets jade and guitar and they just start playing yeah it's like when did when have you played guitar like when when were you this cool yeah um, so, real quick, I, I came up with this headcanon, because, you know, you're, you're just going through this, and you're like, where's Jaden Lauren's mom? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm just like, okay, well, G's trans now, and he, he's also the dad of Lauren and Jaden. He gave birth to those two. Like, ooh, yeah, 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 you pointed that out. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that, that would make sense. <laughs> and, and I was like, I, 
like, I've told it to two other people, I'm like, this clicks. And I'm like, that, that's just it from now on. It's just after, after Jaden's dad died, he transitioned. Yeah. Jaden's just like, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I think slightly before Jaden's dad died, because G was there. Yeah, G so was in like, flashbacks, so like... So I, I think just sometime before Jaden's dad bit it, you know, his husband came out, obviously. Right. So... And yeah, J- J- Jane Lauren just been like, "Yep, our our dad, other dad's trans," <laughs> and it just it's just made sense for a lot of people. Yeah, and I'm like, "Well, I'm just gonna put it out there." It's like G is trans. Yep, and and that is why you know he kind of he he comes off like very parental. I don't know why he just reminds me of a lot of trans parents I know. Legit, I it's like I wouldn't know much about that, but I'm like, yes, that I uh, sure that definitely makes sense to me. Yep. Um, it's not that hard, so, guys. <laughs> it's not that hard. Uh, so, so you know, now we're, we're moving on to Bulk and Spike. We were so, I, I think we were just so happy to see. Yeah, because it's just like, this is the first time Bulk has appeared in Power Rangers since Lost Galaxy. And even yeah. in, like, Lost oh. Galaxy, he was barely there. <laughs> and, and in, like, he had a guest spot on Forever Red. Oh, yeah. That was it. I'd forgotten about that. Well, it's so quick. It's just him and Skull, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and Tommy is there. That's it. But, yeah, Bulk's back, and we're just happy to see him. Uh, and uh, we, he's paired up with Spike, who is Skull's kid. We we just don't... I, I don't want to think about how old Spike is and when Skull produced Spike, to put it mildly. Yeah, that's, like, so weird. Like, I'm like, when? Like... Because, like, okay, at this point, like, Spike is supposed to be, like, an older teenager, if not already in his, like, early 20s. Yeah, which would put along his conception date around, like, Zeo or Turbo, I think. Yeah, it's like, at what point were you, at what point was, like, Skull going around being a deadbeat dad? (laughs) Yeah. You're just like, huh? So, let's not think about it too hard, shall we? Uh, we, we can even say Samurai took place, like, a little bit more in the future from 2010. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not going to think about it too hard. They just wanted to have a Bulk and Skull dynamic. Obviously, I don't think they could have gotten director Jason Narvi. I think he, he... Last I checked, he's a department head. So, obviously, they can't fly him to New Zealand for a couple of, for a couple of months. But, uh, so there's like, yeah, Spike, that's his kid. So, the whole story around them is Spike is going to his Uncle Bulk's, as he's affectionately called, mm-hmm. uh, for the summer, and they they try, decide to try to be samurai. It's basically like, hey, can you take care of my kid for me, Bulk? And Bulk's like, yeah, sure, I'll definitely take care of Spike. And they end up trying to become samurai. Through- it's like, yeah, and like, as, you, as we put in the notes, like, Spike is kind of similar to Skull in terms of like, well, one, how he looks, but also just being a well-meaning idiot. Yeah, it's like, this is definitely, like, season two skull. You know, it's like, I'm still learning a lot about growing up, but I am a well-meaning idiot. I think, like, one of my favorite bits is when he uh, gets a job to help with Bulk's rent. And Bulk's trying to keep, like, oh, I'm behind on rent away from Spike. And so Spike finds out and, like, ends up going through, like, three jobs in a day just trying to make money. Yeah. And, like, yeah, obviously it pays off in the end because Antonio helps them with, like, with, with fish they're catching. Like, he'll pay them for it and they get caught up on rent. Which is, like, yeah. that's that's very nice. And, like, 
I think like my mental head can about that is that like some point like um Skull sat his son down as like, look, I was a real creep in high school. I'm gonna tell you how to not be a creep to women. <laughs> Cause like he yeah, it's very obvious that he has a crush on Mia and like but doesn't really know her that well, but he's not creepy with it the way that like Bulk and Skull were about Kimberly in season one of Mighty Morphin. Yeah, it's it's one of those, it's like Spike, uh, you know, oh, I've seen her before and kind of infatuated with her. Uh, you know, he doesn't, like, creepily do anything with her wallet or anything. He's just like, oh, you know, Bulk's like, well, let's just return it to her, you know, and then you can talk to her. Yeah, and he's, like, nervous to do that. It's, like, it's really cute. Yeah, it's it's, it's really cute. And it's, like, I feel like if that was our heterosexual payoff, it would have been better. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, not even, like, you don't even have to have them, like, dating. Just have, like, maybe Spike, like, ask, like, Mia before he leaves. Like, hey, like, you know, I, I like you, but can, like, I have your get number? get to know each other. Yeah, like, something like yeah. that. Yeah, like, let's get to know each other. That I think I would like that, you know? Um, because, like, Mia kind of sort of recognizes him she's she's seen him like twice before Mm -hmm. which i really like like the first time is when she like you know spike's known about her for a while but she really hasn't known him and and bulk's like go tell her about the concert we're doing right and that's you know she finds out of course about her brother and all that through the the flyer but you know she's like oh thank you you know i'm glad you asked me to this and then like, later during that job thing. Like, Mia's the one that, like, demorphs and gives Spike that pep talk. It's like, oh, no, you're a really great person if you're doing this for your uncle. Right. You know? You know, you're not a failure of a human being. You're just, you know, you're, you're kind of in a tough situation right now, and I'm sure it'll work out. You know? So it's like, yeah, <laughs> there was nothing really creepy between them, and Spike really wasn't, like, you know, sniff, like, not sniffing your underwear. They're not going to see that in Power Rangers, but not, yeah. like weirdly stalking her or feeling like the feelings needed to be owed to him he was just like i have a crush on her and i don't know how to talk to her (laughs) right yeah no Uh, that was pretty cute i think um and kind of go with bulk as we have like the older bulk where he's he's not an asshole and he's definitely trying to do good by by uh skull's kid you know yeah Because, like, it seems like he hadn't seen Skull in a while, but, like, he's still gonna, like, you know, Skull is still, like, one of his best friends, and, like, they had that connection, so clearly he's gonna take care of, like, Spike. Yeah. Like, Um, he's also a well-meaning idiot in that regard. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like, I think Bulk and Skull will forever be well-meaning idiots. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I made a note of, like, Spike is trans and you have to deal with it now. I'm just like, this this boy's trans. (laughs) Tracks. It's just, you know, like I think you, you mentioned uh, when people are like, I don't know why people get yelly about trans headcanons. They don't affect you. And you're like, I just go along for the ride when half the time you say this stuff. Yeah, like, I know I certainly say shit that I'm just like, you're just like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> but but this one, I'm just like, I just get the feeling. Yeah. You know? I just look at him and I'm like, you're a trans boy. I mean, our own personal headcanon of Skull is that he's a professional drag queen. So, like, yeah. <laughs> why not have a trans son, you know? Yeah, which, you know, shows up at the end where he's like, you know, obviously skulls and money right now. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he has a limo. And, and and we're just going back with the Michelle from HR thing. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> Skull is a, you know, professional drag queen. It's like, either he's doing a tour right now, or he was doing, like, All Stars or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
Just, just like, and I think after this, Bulk and Skull probably get married or something. Yeah, that's that's what I choose to believe. That's what I choose. It's like these two just get married already. Jesus. Yeah, I like to think that like they'd been disconnected for a while before that, and then like after Samurai, they're just like, you know what? I can't live without you. <laughs> <laughs> It's like B- bulk and skull are are buy and pan kings, yes. you know. However, you want to want to see them as. Yeah. Those are our kings. Yeah, you know? De- destined to be together forever. <laughs> those those two simple fools. So yeah, and then, yeah, the skull. I love the ending shot with skull and spike. Those they get hit by the overpass thing. Yeah, they're like, see ya, bulky, and then they just got hit by like <laughs> a, a street <laughs> sign, which I'm like, that, yeah, that that That's tracks. <laughs> And then Bulk's like, yep, just like his father. <laughs> oh, no, I will say that most of their plot line doesn't really connect with most of Power Rangers. Oh, no, it, it just is kind of outside of it. So, like, I don't know if they're just com- They're not really commenting on it, though. They're just kind of there just doing their own thing and just dare to give that, like, kind of comic relief, which I'm like... In most cases, this would not work, especially with the way that this series is, but it, it's bulk and spi- basically like Skull Jr., so... <laughs> yeah, it just weirdly works, and um, I really do enjoy that, like, you know, they, they, they'll sometimes get involved in the plot, but not exactly with the Rangers, and it's through stupid shit. Yeah, like the gumball, the giant gumball yeah. to plug up the hole in the world. Or like the the marriage the marriage episode where you know obviously there's a kidnapping thing going on and the whole joke of it is is you know uh, bulk is meditating to it but you know Spike keeps seeing the brides getting taken off. <laughs> He's like Uncle Bulk, and then Bulk's like, "Yes, clear your mind." No. <laughs> uh, oh man, definitely definitely the highlight of the series, I think for sure. Uh. Really also enjoyed the episode, the Christmas episode, where they ended up at the, uh, like, dojo, um, yeah, with, uh, with G, and they end up, like, bonding over milk and cookies and stuff while, like, the, you know, the sword malfunctioned and they're all stuck. Yeah. Which is, it, it felt like a thing of, like, we can't, like, the actors have already thrown, like, flown out of New Zealand, we can't get them back, so they're gonna be in these suits. And just voice over, you know? Yeah, and it ends up being a very wholesome episode in that regard. Oh, yeah. Like... Oh, yeah. Like, because I think G, because he's, like, obviously met them a couple of times at this point, thinks that they're kind of weird, but understands, like, you know, that, like we said, that they're well-meaning idiots. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Bulk and Skull try to come off like they know the Power Rangers, and G kind of plays along because he knows that they're full of shit, but he's like, yeah, they're just... Trying to be braggadocious, you know? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. And ends up, like, having them set up a meeting with the Power Rangers, and the Power Rangers are like, thank you for all you do in the city, Yeah, you know? Like, so. it, it's, it's all very, like, wholesome and well-meaning. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, no, like, we can just go ahead and move on to our villains, which mostly we're only going to talk about two, uh, which are Dayu and Decker. Uh, they are the most developed characters in this series. Yeah, oh my god. Like, I was not expecting that, especially for villains. Like, sometimes you'll get, like, one villain that has, like, a tragic backstory, and then, like, they're just, but then everybody else is just there to be evil. But, like, no, like, this is the most in-depth storyline in the entire show. 
So I just re- I recently finally watched Belladonna of Sadness, and when we're watching the episode where you find out the backstory, I'm like, this is Kitty Belladonna of Sadness. Yeah, and like they hint about it like a couple of episodes beforehand about like uh like this, this legend of a princess like trading away her humanity. Um, and and they would have and they would have these like things with Decker and Dayu as well. Yeah, and then so you learn their backstory, which was that Dayu and Decker were married. Like they had just been, they had just gotten married. Which, like the hilarious thing is that there's some. It seems like it's implied that it is supposed to be ancient Japan, but one or like some some ancient time in the past. Yeah, so um, ancient time in the past. But they're wearing a tuxedo in wedding dress, like you like the not the traditional, tu- but like your modern traditional tuxedo and wedding dress. And she has, like, a modern guitar she gives him, or he gives her, you know? Yeah, and, like, when like, she refers to it as her harmonium, and it's like, okay, it's like they maybe done, like, a wedding kimono instead. Like, I would kind of get that a little bit more, but, like, no, you're just straight up going for a regular-ass wedding dress, like, implying that maybe this happened, like, 20 years ago. I mean, considering they find the ruins of their house. Yeah, like, I was like, <laughs> what is happening? Like... It's like, you want this to be a- an ancient story, and yet you kind of come here, and you imply that sometimes with Deckard's, like, talking and everything. And even if, like I said, like, you have, I, I think, like, once Deckard's introduced, you have the sense that you knew him. Yeah. At one point. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how it comes off. And then you get to that weird backstory, and you're like, this is going to be Dai's backstory, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because <laughs> way beforehand of the wedding dress, she was like, my wedding day was ruined. Yeah, because they start hinting at that pretty early on in the in the bridal episode. Oh, um, so so yeah, I was like, is this ancient times? This is not ancient times, but yeah, let's go back. Uh, they were married, and you know, they go to their little farm home and exchange wedding gifts. She got a guitar, and he got a sword. And then Serrator attacks their home because why the fuck not? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's Serrator's just playing four D chess, and he's like, "Yes, you humans will fucking do," you know? Yeah, and. Burns their home to the ground. Decker is is dead. And Dayu basically is like, I'll do anything for you to come back. Oh no. And Serrator's comments like, I'll make I'll I'll bring your I'll bring your husband back to life. You just have to become a Nylock. And she's like, Oh yeah, I'll do it. And so she she kind of she becomes a full Nylock, but what he curses Decker with is basically you can turn human, but you're also still a Nylock. Also, you have no memory of anything. It's like, yeah, I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> so it's like, you have, so basically Serrator's just like, ha ha, I really caused some sorrow here by having Dayu essentially be like the full Nylock, but she has all the memories of what goes on that makes her so tragic. And then Decker, who can turn human, but he he only wants blood and vengeance. He doesn't remember who he is. It's like, yeah, no, so, like, it, it sort of just leads to this whole drama of, like, Dayu clearly remembering their past and, like, wishing, like, kind of that being that forlorn lover, when especially when Decker yeah. comes back into the picture, but she can't really do anything about it because he doesn't remember shit. And, like, only really, he only really gets his memory back at the end. So, like, Dayu, for most of the series... Compared to the other villains, it's just very emo, which I don't blame her. <laughs> yeah. This is a very traumatic situation for, like, any Power Ranger villain to go through. Hell, let alone any person to go through. Yeah. And, uh, basically Decker's just 
bloodthirsty and you just commented like he comes off of, like a weeb who has too many katana like i love how you were just like we need to make the while you were partying <laughs> in high school i was studying the blade yeah this took up an entire episode because i was trying to do it on my phone and it wasn't working so kurt had to pull up <laughs> photoshop <laughs> do it that way yeah and, just like, and it, yeah <laughs> and we, we just made the joke it's like comes off like my ex yeah no he's definitely comes across like your fucking ex Fuck that dude. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Decker gets his memory back. Uh, basically, in his final duel with Jaden, his whole thing is this build up with the duel with Jaden, which again, it's like they could have played off more with Jaden. I felt instead of like you're a killer like me, and they don't really develop that with Jaden. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, because most of the time that you see Decker interact with Jaden, he's like, oh, like you're gonna be the duel that my my blade Uramasa like thirsts for, and it's like if you say Uramasa one more time. I'm gonna kill yes. you. Yes, you will duel me, yeah. and it is just me with a gun. Yeah, <laughs> it's like prepare for your Indiana Jones style death. Sorry, I think he like yeah he gets his memory back for like the briefest moment. moment. Yeah, and then he still tries to kill Jaden because it's like I I am bound by this, and then Kevin ends up showing out up out of nowhere. and just kills the guy. Yeah, and I'm just like, damn, Kevin. Okay, I didn't know you had it in I- you. And, and mind you, this entire episode is kind of like, all the other rangers are going to try to find Jaden, and Kevin's like, no, I'm sworn to only protect the leader of the clan, and then Lauren eventually is like, get off your butt and go help Jaden. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's an order. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, Kevin just shows up at the end to deliver the killing blow to essentially protect Jaden. Right. Because I think everyone else was trying to, like, help Jaden up and everything, and he's like, oh, and then here's Kevin, just kills the dude. I was just like, damn, Kevin, okay. <laughs> um, and then later, Dayu kind of dies of grief slash suicide by Master Xandrid. With Xandrid, Serrator, I think, was trying to use, like, Dayu and Decker to kind of open up a portal. And he failed at yeah. it. Because he's he, he, Serrator. Uh, Xandrid instead kind of uses Dayu's human half to make him impervious to, like, the seal. Yeah. So Yeah. So, yeah, he kills Dayu and just basically takes her heart, essentially. Yeah, and it's just, like, that episode was just so weird, because, like, well, one, in general, having to watch everything build up that they've been building up to just absolutely fail, but it's also Power Rangers, so that happens. Um, yeah. But, like, where, I just, I just, I think it was Mia or Emily, I can't remember who, like, I literally cannot remember which one of the two, or just, like, what's he doing to her? Because they watch the entire no. scene where, like, Xandrid essentially just kills Dayu and takes her energy. I th- it's more explicit, I believe, in Shin Kanger, but they had to cut away from it. Ah, uh, yeah. I- I'd, have to- I'd-, I'd have to go back and watch. I think it's a little bit more, like, implicit of what he's doing. Yeah. So, um, which, which, speaking of which, uh, of all things they copied and pasted from Shin Kanger and watered down, I'm glad not Teyu's story, who is Dayu's counterpart, because- Basically, there was no love story between her and, and uh, Jiso, I think was the name of the character. Uh-huh. No love story between them or anything. He was just murder dude. And her story was just like, I I am a musician for this guy's court. I'm in love with him. But, oh, he married another woman. So I'm going to kill him and the bride. And I'm going to commit suicide by burning down our house. I think she actually stabs them, too. And it's just like, okay, brony friend Zoe. Yeah, it's like, okay, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So I'm glad they went with this more tragic love backstory, I guess. Because I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was just a little much. Yeah, that works better. And it makes it sadder when it, like, doesn't work out in the end. Yeah, it doesn't work out when she's dying. I'm like, I'm just like, I just remember with Shinkanger, I'm like, I really don't care this Brody Frizzoni lady is dying. <laughs> this isn't that tragic. Yeah, because, like, oftentimes, like, I'm so used to power, like, I talked about this, like, in our RPM episode. But, like, I am so used to Power Rangers, like, kind of walking back on, like, actual death sometimes that, like, I was fully expecting that Scott's brother was going to be alive the whole time. And it's like, oh, no, he's actually dead. Um, (laughs) And then so, like, I was like, okay, so, like, Dayu and Decker, like, I I was thinking, okay, so Dayu and Decker, they're going to be evil and have this tragic backstory. But at the end, they're going to get their human sides back or, like, maybe get to embrace each other as they die or whatever. No! (laughs) Yeah, they, they both tragically die without getting back together. It's like, wow, okay, no closure on that piece of, like, uh, plot line. Let's just, let's, let's, clo- let's make it, like, a very tragic closure, basically. Yeah. So, that, and that is it for what we wanted to talk about villains, because everyone else is, like, an honorable mention just there. Yeah, because, like, Zan- like, it was really funny, like, the main thing about Xandrid that I wanted to mention was, like, it was really funny when you pointed out to me that, like, anytime you see him drinking his medicine, you're like, it's sake. I'm like, oh, so he's drunk. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's, if you, like, if you, you know, obviously, like, we need to adapt it to be something else, but I'm like, this is clearly sake. Yeah. So he's just a drunk, drunk, spiny lobster, because he was inspired by a spiny lobster, which in the middle of doing stuff, I'm like, okay, can you eat those? And I found out, yes, they are a delicacy. Ah, okay. So Master Xandru should have just ended up, like, had drawn butter on him or something. <laughs> um, there was Octoroo, it was kind of like, he he just was fenced with a vocal tick. Yeah. So uh, Every episode is, ooh, ah, ooh. <laughs> Yeah, and kind of deals with getting the monsters. Most he is the most loyal to Master Xandroid to the point he basically get, almost gets himself killed. Yeah, uh, giving a monster like half his energy. And then there's Serrator, who we just like our teeth, 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 teeth. 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 <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of teeth in his design. Yeah, it's just like just one of those that like he's just like too much of a gaping maw. <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, ugh. I hate it. <laughs> all right, so, uh, all right, so now we're starting our odds and ends, and, uh, yeah, we just want to reiterate how bad the acting was. Yeah, I will say it got slowly better over the course of the series, especially in season one, but, like, yeah. it did not really, like, you know, nobody's going from, like, terrible actor to Shakespearean-level actor in the course of, like, 48 episodes like no it's just yeah. like it went from oh this is really bad to it's it's bad but it's passable <laughs> it's, it went from we're leading lines off a page to okay this is coming off like a decently done high school play mm-hmm. uh and like it says like we we don't know like i feel like the actors are a little bit of it because a lot of them were new actors mm-hmm. But I think, like, a good majority of it was just direction and script. And it's, like, you can't really grow what isn't there. Right. Um, so, on a good side, uh, I wanted to call it like this. Yes, cinema fucking photography. Yes. So, like, one thing that we definitely pointed out about this season when we were watching it is that it is way more dynamic in the way it's shot. 
Like, between the way the morphs work, like, the, the, like, the cool thing about the symbol power was that it led to these really dynamic morphs where they would draw their symbols and then hit that, like, turn. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what about it. It's just so fucking dynamic. Yeah, a lot of, they just, uh, like, I really, really noticed that on episode three, I think. I was just like, wow, they're doing a lot of visual language in this episode. And they would, they would, like, go focus on a character in the foreground uh, and, or in, in the background, you know, while they're getting dialogue. And then they would do, like, that dramatic kind of focus into the foreground with the one character and he's looking sad or you know using uh editing or uh really good camera work to really make this feel dynamic instead of shot shot people talking shot people talking you know i feel like power rangers even in the disney years sometimes this did not have the most like dynamic use of cinematography and camera work and editing yeah and that's not to say, like, it was bad. It was just more of, like, there was obviously not emphasis mm-hmm. on, used, like, really taking this visual storytelling to the next level. Right. I don't know if it's because of, like, new new directors that came into the show or, you know, they were dealing with, like, a lot better equipment. Like, they were using digital, uh, digital HD cameras at this time. Mm-hmm. And they really wanted to show off what to do. But it's like, there was a lot of just like stuff that stood out to me as dramatic storytelling using the audiovisual medium. Right. You know, using television or film as a medium to actually dynamically tell the story instead of like, either it's like, it's there and it's dynamic, but it's nothing to like register with me quickly or you kind of save those things for like action shots. Right. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. And it's like, it just, yeah, I think it just made it stand out, especially compared to, like, some of the past seasons. And, like, even where the show would lack in storyline or acting, like, it definitely made up for in how visually great it looked. Yeah, I think that was, like, the biggest draw of what kept us, like, not really hating this. It's, like, visually, the storytelling was just really well done so we're like we're actually kind of invested in it despite the fact that yeah the characters were kind of flat and the acting wasn't always there yeah um one thing i definitely wanted to bring up as one of the more interesting things is people kept getting injured in this series and i felt like that was an interesting show of a rise of stakes as opposed to normally it's like uh the morphine grid kind of fixed you yeah like Jaden gets his ass kicked a lot. Like, a lot. Like, you see people get their butts kicked. Like, particularly Jaden in that last bit when Lauren shows up. Like, he's actually, like, nearly bedridden Mm -hmm. from that ass kicking. Uh, You know, it's it's like people get hurt and injured from what they do. Mm -hmm. It's not just, uh, oh, Morphing Grid, raced it. You're better now. Yeah. Yeah, like, definitely, like, it's it's something that feels like it carries across multiple episodes, too, like... Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, Jaden, like, gets injured a lot, obviously, but, like, it's not, like, he's not going from, like, episode to episode, like, well, okay, I got my ass kicked in the last episode, but now I'm all better. It's like, sometimes, like, yeah, like, especially in that last sequence of episodes, like, it carries over, or, like, when that one episode where, like, literally, like... Uh, Decker throws him in a river. <laughs> yeah. You must purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a great line you said. 
Um, but yeah. Um, so I want to touch this real quick. Um, uh, uh, because of when this came out. This came out around the time that the last Airbender's casting snafu happened. And if you weren't around for that, if you were a kid during that, basically, uh, this is when they were first adapting Avatar The Last Airbender to a uh, live action medium. It was a film. And they casted a bunch of white people to be Asian people, basically. Yeah. Asian characters, because the world of Avatar is, there's no white people in it. That's like the best way I can explain it. No white people. Yeah. So that caused quite a, dis- like, just just everyone was like, really? Uh, you know, there was a lot of like outcry for that, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. So around this time, they decided the smart thing to do on their show called Power Ranger Samurai. They put up the casting call and everybody else was more or less like they normally do Power Rangers, which is more akin to colorblind casting. Mm-hmm. Except for the, of the Red Ranger, where they noted he had to be white. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Um... The source we're going to link it to the show notes uh, actually came from um, the people who originally called, like, the, the group of people who originally called out what happened with The Last Airbender. It was a live journal coop called Race Bending. I think they have their own site now. But essentially, uh, I, and I was like, did I misremember this? And I was like, no, I did not. Uh, it's very hard to find the original casting sheet, but yeah, it's it's there. People did talk about it. Uh, they ended up updating the sheet after the outcry to basically have that line erased. But it sounds like by then they already casted Alex Hartman. Yeah. So it's just like, wow, that was, that was a choice. Yeah, like, okay. Like, I know it's it's Power Rangers. It's going to have, for the most part, like, multiracial casting. Like, but I feel like at least with the fucking, like, the main characters having the last name Sheba should have maybe had the characters be at least part Asian. <laughs> or like, you know, Asian American. Yeah. Like, like, you know, the Sheba clan has, has been established in America for a while. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like, okay, you don't even have to try to go, like, doing the hand, like, you could do a hand wavy explanation about why, like, Kevin, like, Kevin or Emily or Mike or Samurai, like, you could do a hand-wavy explanation of that. Like, but I feel like, at least with, like, have this revolving around a family with the last name Sheba and them being white as the driven snow. (laughs) Yeah, it was just, it's one of those things, it's like, yeah, that was definitely racist. Uh Um, and, yeah, it just kind of folds into... Two things about to touch on real quick mm-hmm. is I think we touched enough about the Shinkadra adaptation. It's like it's definitely like this was something that obviously was really hard for them to adapt. The other one uh had to do with uh Amit Bachmit's uh proposal. He was the person that is best known for the Forever Red episode and everything. Uh he basically was one of the people they tapped to write a treatment for the season. And it, it is, you know, he has a big background in Eastern, East Asian languages and cultures. He grew up as a fan of the show. Basically, he, as he put it, he binged all 50 episodes of Shane Kane just wrote this treatment. <laughs> and with this treatment, you you definitely had, you had American characters, but they all, like, 
for uh, your Red Rangers and everything, but they definitely came from, like, you know, they were supposed to be Japanese-American. Right. And everyone else kind of came from, like, different, like, different parts of the globe where these samurai clans ended up, like, settling. Right. That's, you know. So, uh, and it was very interesting because you had kind of, like, uh, two dueling cousins. You had kind of a more international cast, like... The Pink Ranger is English. Uh, Blue Ranger's Nigerian. Uh, Yellow Ranger actually came from, like, Austria. And, you know, you had, a like, a much more global cast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's kind of um, definitely playing more into how samurai clans are and everything. Especially, you know, if you're dealing with Wedge and Kendra Wedge, which was that big love letter to samurai in uh, film and in the pop and pop culture in Japan, mm-hmm. and then it's just like, no, we're not going to do any anything you suggested. Yeah. So if you, we'll link it to the show notes if you want to read it. I definitely felt like it was a very interesting take on adapting Shinkanger while making it something very still original, mm-hmm. and maybe not something that would just kind of feel like, why are you putting an American paint job on? This? Yeah, pretty much. Because uh, I will say with um, uh, uh, ugh. I'd say with uh, Amit Singh is it's very, very, like, thought out and, like, basically you see a lot of, you know, the the influence that obviously Shikadra would have on the series, but also, like, not completely erasing it being a very, like, Japanese culture-based season. Right. And definitely had some neat little things to kind of go with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to check it out, we have it in show notes. Yeah. So... Uh, let's get into that RPM crossover, though. Yeah, okay, so... This was the weirdest episode of all of, uh, Samurai for me. Like, okay, yeah, obviously we are kind of used to Power Rangers doing crossovers with previous seasons, whether it works or not. Um, usually because they're adapting an episode of Sentai where it crossed over with the previous season. Mm-hmm. And so this se- this episode has... Just Scott from RPM coming through a portal where he was like bla- basically blasted back in time by like the Cog Prince or something like that. Yeah. And it's very clearly not Vengex or anything like that. And so Scott is basically blasted through the portal um, and he has to like work with the other Rangers to get back, to basically defeat the Cog Prince and get back home. And he's, one, he's the only character from RPM that shows up. Two, he never takes his helmet off the entire time. It's just... <sighs> Scott is just written to be a massive asshole throughout the entire episode. Yeah, and it's like they kind of wave it of like, oh, he had a cog in him or something. But it's like, he comes off more like Dylan asshole than like when Scott, like at the very beginning of the series, was an asshole to Dylan, you know? Yeah, like Scott, I'm just sitting there thinking like, what's... Got an asshole like this the entire time when watching RPM because I do not. I remember him being an asshole, just not a raging asshole. It, it was definitely like a different, like loner vibe asshole mm-hmm. instead of like, oh, I have to work with you guys and you don't know what's going on, which is something he showed at the beginning of the show with Dylan. Right. And it's like this is this is more like we wanted to write Dylan, but we instead decided to make it Scott. Yeah, and I'm wondering if maybe that's because maybe the footage only had the Red Ranger. But, like, 
that was it was so such a a lot of that was american though they did like more of a american stuff with it so i'm just like okay so you're filming in new zealand clearly you could have gotten maybe like a couple of the rpm actors to come back like olivia or i don't think rose was on iZombie at that point because i don't think iZombie started for another couple of years yeah so like maybe like get rose to come back or like um i'm trying to think like there's i I feel like you could have called back at least a couple of other the actors but then like the weirdest part of it is that like so we're dealing with the fact that you know yes this is a multiverse and like scott's coming from a universe where robots have taken over and everybody lives in in the dome city of corinth who's still alive Mm -hmm. but like at one point like the rest of the ranger team that's not Jaden gets blasted back in through the portal to um to Corinth basically yeah. and Scott just says oh my team will take care of them and then you never see anything of that except and it's only yeah. mentioned again like at the end when like Scott's leaving and he said and I think Emily says oh tell your team like uh says give you tell your team hello for us or something like that yeah. so it's like so you did interact with the other rangers but we didn't get to see that yeah they basically just wanted to pay someone to wear the red ranger outfit for the entire time mm-hmm. like i said a lot of a lot of that was american footage okay basically all like, well that yeah that's american what i was saying is that obviously that was american footage but i meant like specifically the like the fight scenes i thought like maybe they only had the red ranger no, they, I believe the Go Andre crossover had both, so they just kind of cut around it. Mm. So it's one of those, like, they cut around it, they used other episodes of Shin Kanger. Uh It was pretty much, it was pretty much like, no, that's mostly American footage. And they basically just got the outfit, and then they got Scott's actor, Ika, back, but only as, like, a voice, and he had to be credited under another name. Okay, so I was like, is that a union thing or what? Yeah, it was just, it was real weird. Yeah, that's like, oh, okay, I don't get what's going on here. It's just like the entire thing was just very confusing. And like, it just felt, maybe I'm just projecting here because obviously like you're telling me Saban was tried to like disavow the Disney years for a few years there. And like obviously like you know they're trying to start like a new like fresh like start off on a new fresh leaf or like oh well we're doing like we're you know we're taking it back to the 90s with the way we're doing this series and like especially after a season like rpm where like shit was really dark like it just it just sort of felt like either one they were just being really petty about rpm the entire time and just making like Doing the least amount that they had to do with it. Or even when, though they probably could have just skipped the Go Andre crossover entirely. Yeah, it's just... Or whoever was writing this episode didn't actually watch RPM. That's... I feel like it's the la- I always feel like it's the latter. We could always go research this and bring it back mm-hmm. in the Neo Saban overview. But it really felt like... Okay, we maybe we should do a crossover because people do like crossovers, but we're all gonna do this, and yeah, we're not even gonna touch RPM. Yeah. So yeah, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like that would be a good comic, you know, is just do like an arc of the Power Rangers comic where like what happens when the samurai team ends up in Corinth or something like that. 
Yeah. But I'm just thinking out loud. All right. So, like, the last thing we wanted to touch on on odds and ends. So, I mentioned earlier we made that meme of Decker. Of, like, the, you know, when you were out partying, I studied the blade or all that fun stuff. Because that's Decker's entire vibe. So, what I didn't mention during that time was that when I was trying to Google picture of Decker... Um, we didn't really touch on what happened with Ricardo Medina Jr. in our Wild Force episode because it just was not really relevant to the plot. Um, yeah. but you know, it's it's kind of known in Power Rangers fandom. Like, what happened to him was that he uh was arrested for manslaughter and was served time in jail, which he is now out. Um, after a self defense killing of a roommate with a samurai sword. Yeah, guess what type of picture people used to report on that in the news that kept popping up when I did a Google image search? Yeah, I was just like, oh my god, you're using that promo shot? Yeah, like they're specifically using pictures of Decker when reporting on this. And I'm like, it's I, I don't think it was any major outlets, but like, I was like, oh my god, what the fuck? What's wrong? It's like there has to be a more recent headshot or something you can use of that man. Or, like, just use a picture of Cole. Not the picture, like, not the picture of him as, like, the edgy samurai boy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, that just makes it seem worse, you know? Yeah, it was just like, wow, you chose that picture. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, like, if that pops up, like, if any of the samurai actors... I don't know. I'm not saying it would happen, but, you know, if any of the samurai actors get caught in just any sort of crime involving a samurai sword, don't use photos of them from samurai. Like, yeah. I just, I feel like that's just a, like, a good thing to do, but, like, I don't know if it's just a case of, like, this is, like, not pre-social media, but, like, obviously social media was happening when this when this happened, but I don't know if it was just a case of, like, nobody really just called anybody out to say, hey, that's fucked up. I'm not sure if I remember if anybody did. <laughs> I'm like, because we weren't, I, I just remember we were just like, oh, damn, what happened? Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's definitely a fucked up thing I saw on the internet while trying to make a stupid meme for this podcast. So I just had to yeah. tell the rest of you, because it's like the fucking ring tape, I guess. Yeah, we, we, we must share with you our ring tape experience. So, you know, share it with somebody else or you die in seven days or whatever. Yeah, we're finally at the, the end of all this. And we, ha- we have a verdict that might surprise you. Yeah, after all of everything we've said now, it's the show. It's it's aggressively fine. It's just, it's very aggressively fine. Yeah. Uh, I remember, like, a lot of people back when it first came out, I wasn't the biggest fan of the series. At one point, I felt I definitely hated it. It was definitely when it was coming out, too. Mm-hmm. And later I admit I watched it more than once, but it was it was not a big favorite. Uh, I think I wanted to write a fanfic or something, and it just never panned out, but I definitely watched it more than once. Mm-hmm. I'll say time has been kinder in terms of just the overall reaction, but it is still very flawed. It is trying to be Shinkanger while also mixing, like, American Power Rangers, and it just went nowhere, and it kind of had, like, flat 90s pastiche characters and so at the end you have something that's not horrible and not boring to watch but it's really aggressively fine yeah and i honestly wasn't certain what to expect from this season from sid's previous descriptions and getting into it yeah 
I, I know we're overusing the phrase aggressively fine, but aggressively fine is the phrase I would use to describe it. I think with better acting and some better like writing, this could have been a really good B-tier season of Power Rangers, especially with how dynamic the cinematography is and how the morphs are. And even like, I love the design of the Zords. Like, we didn't really talk about that, but the Zords are adorable. Uh, we love the Zords. The Zords are great. And, but yeah, as it is, it's it's okay. And I wouldn't be mad if someone put this on at a party or if Sid and I were just wanting to watch like a random episode. But yeah, Samurai is just fine. So that's it for this show. We'd like to thank Kate Nix for our theme song. You can find her on at Twitter and Instagram at The Goblin Mother and also at katenix.com where you can find her band camp merch and streaming she's back to streaming on tuesdays and thursdays tuesday at 8 p.m eastern standard time is her concert music and mayhem and thursdays at 4 p.m eastern standard time is her podcast call-in show the part where i talk we'd also like to thank joe hunter for the art you can find him um, at twitter and patreon at joe underscore hunter you can also find him as on instagram under joe Bloody Hunter, as well as his Threadless store, JoeHunter.Threadless. He's currently doing a comic with Lamb Pitts called Beast Heart Strikers, which is available on Comixology, as well uh, as appearing as a backup uh, in Radiant Black currently, if you want to pick those up at your local comic book shop. We also like to thank Kurt Yoder for the editing. Uh, You can check out his... Etsy at Great SGE Creations on Etsy, as well as Great SG Pixels on Twitter. Our wrestler of the podcast is former AEW Women's Champion, Joshi Badass, and Tuxi Cat Enthusiast, Hikaru Shida. Yes, shout out to Ruta. Shout out to Ruta, we love Ruta. <laughs> uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at MissKittyF. I am trying to use Instagram just a tiny bit more, but still struggling with it. My Twitter also has a link to um, my link tree, which has links to all of my shops, which include my Square shop, uh, ashley-luckwell.square.site, and my itch.io account. I am no longer using Gumroad, because fuck them. So yeah, that's where you can find me on the Great Wide Internet. Uh, you can also find me at the Great Wide Internet, uh, Twitter at Velociriker, where you can also find a link tree to everything, including my uh, soap and candle and more store, Coda's Magical Crafts. It's on most places at Coda's Crafts, as well as Instagram. Coda's Magical Crafts is also on Etsy under that name. Uh, you can find our podcast anywhere uh, as Ranger Splain, whether it be Twitter or Instagram, or Patreon. You can also find us at WordPress at rangersplain.wordpress.com. If you would like to help us boost against the dreaded algorithm, give us a review or at least just give us five stars. You know, that'd be great. Which is just, you know, you never know. Like we, we charted in Denmark last month and that was really weird. Yes. In a great way. Yeah. So let, let's find another Nordic country to chart in. Yeah. Let, let's keep charting in, in random like Nordic countries. Like I, I want to do that. Uh, Next month, we go back to high school and see some Omega familiar faces as we tune into the 20th anniversary series, Power Rangers Megaforce. Stay safe out there and may the power protect you. Go Rangers!